I met him 15 years ago. I, I was told there was nothing left, no reason, no uh, conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death, of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with One Good Scare, our monthly chronological exploration of the Halloween franchise. And it is September, so we're talking about the ninth entry in the Halloween franchise, which is the first remake coming from Rob Zombie, which was released in 2007. And... I've got kind of a deja vu feeling going on here. Didn't yes, we do this we, already? Yeah, so as my co-host, uh, Mike Wilson, who's on all of the episodes when it comes to Halloween, we had actually done a review of Halloween two years ago, almost two years ago, for, when I did in 2016's uh, Month of Horrors. So we, we kind of pondered what we were going to really do with that review. I mean, do we do a whole new one? Do we say just go check out that one? But like, you had to actually – this is actually your idea, so why don't you take this one for that well, one? What I suggested, and I'm actually kind of glad we did it this way, uh, I had a chance to re-listen to our podcast from two years ago. I am very pleased with how it turned out. There's, there's little, if anything, I'd really want to add to that. So our idea kind of is to, I guess, uh, repost it, if, if that's the right word for it. Yeah, well, we're going to, uh, like, as soon as we're done speaking here, it's going to go right into that podcast from two years ago so you can hear our thoughts on it then and then once that's over it's going to come back to us today and we're going to give you we're going to give you follow thoughts and see if anything is different and if we agree with certain things about it and like how we stand on it and now that we've got we've gone through the context of going through all the movies up until this point if that's changed or altered our feelings on this movie specifically yeah and listening back to it i realized i used this my same uh flustered unhappy shtick now twice i did that with resurrection last year so I, I gotta come up with some new material but essentially the first 10 minutes is really a recap of where halloween was at this time if you've been keeping up with our podcast series you would already know this but i guess it would be a good refresher um we went what like two hours and 15 minutes something like that it? yeah something like that i feel it's one of the best ones we've done i really enjoyed it I really enjoyed listening back to it. So mm -hmm. we're going to give you guys what we had last year. But, two years ago. Oh, two years ago. I feel like last year. I don't know. I don't know time anymore. However, though, if you – I hope you don't Science feel like you're getting old. Yeah. I know it may seem like we're kind of just, you know, rehashing and jipping you. But b before the end of the month is over, we're going to do a brand new one for Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. So yes. Kind of a little bonus this month, you know. So you gave what one and a half new episodes here. I'd say one and a quarter, a third, a third, yeah, something like that. <laughs> something like that. We, but there will be a brand new episode this month, September 2018. Right. So let's uh, keep. Let's not gab on anymore. Uh, Tim, for the past, take it away.
Inside every one of us, there exists a dark side. Most people rise above it, but some are consumed by it. There is nothing left. But pure evil. Behind these eyes, one finds only darkness. These are the eyes of a psychopath. This August, Rob Zombie unleashes an extreme vision of terror and reinvents a legend. Halloween. Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture podcast broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and you, we have reached the end of October's month of horrors as we were covering all kinds of horror movies during the month of october on this podcast as you can tell from the title we're doing a review of rob zombies halloween the first one not the second one i'm sure the second one probably brought up in conversation but this is primarily a review of the first movie and like with every podcast i have i have a guest and there's only one person i thought would be demented enough who's willing to sit through multiple versions of this movie with me and have a discussion about it who is with me today uh, yes, I have a ball of gas. Who's my co-host? Uh, oh, this 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 topic. Identify yourself. I'm Mike Wilson. You heard me before. Yes. How you doing, sir? Uh, well, I feel like shit today. I'm pretty, <laughs> pretty allergic. Not to Rob Zombie, but I'm starting to feel like I am. <laughs> just by the mere mention of his I name. I feel sick inside, you like, know. You just start breaking out psoriasis or something like that. I, just I, get, <laughs> I get the poots. I start farting a lot. Oh, man. Are you ready to talk about this? I guess. All right. I so. mean... <sighs> where do I, how do I... How do uh, I start? But before we go any further, so we're about to jump into a review of Rob Zombie's Halloween, so let's jump into that right now. Now, before we talk about this movie, we have to talk about the Halloween franchise, where the previous movie and how it left the kind of the franchise in shambles. That's what led it to this decision process being made that have Rob Zombie reboot this movie or remake the first movie and start kind of like a new franchise that didn't last long. But before we go there, let's talk about Halloween Resurrection. Mike, can you give us a brief? Uh, Halloween Rodan. Resurrection is a stain on the fabric mm -hmm. of film that will never come out, no matter how much you try to watch it. So you're saying it's a bigger stain than most stealth movies? Pretty much. Wow. Um, 
Halloween had a had an end. It had finally had an ending with H two O. With H two O, it's one of the many things I, I one of the at least my personal things I enjoy about any type of story. If it has a concise ending, mm-hmm. I like that. I respect it. In this day and age of sequels and reboots, stuff is just forgotten the minute it becomes unprofitable or unliked, critically, commercially, whatever. Like, for example, the Amazing Spider-Man movies, as uh, an example. But look at anything in horror. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the 13th, all these had no real... And Well, the final Friday was an ending. Yeah, it was, until that turned uh, a Freddy huge profit. Jason. Yes. And then Jason X, if we're talking chronologically. Yes. Oh, man. Canonically, chronologically. Oh, my God. Oh, Jason X, we'll be talking about that hopefully soon. But, like, I, I respect an ending, and I feel like the Halloween series, even with all its bumps in the roads and hiccups, I, I feel like it was a concise story from one through seven. Yes, there was the whole Thorn trilogy of four, five, and six left out of seven, but I feel like the fact that seven took place on the other side of the country, mm-hmm. far enough away from, you know, Haddonfield, right. you could still argue the point that they existed and just make up whatever story you wanted in your head. Right. About why it wasn't mentioned. And with the, since it was the 20th anniversary of the original film and that having Jamie Lee Curtis come back to the franchise, you knew it was going to be a box office smash and that it was somewhat decent. Well, not result- necessarily off the bat, but it, it turned out to be because yeah, it, it simplified things. And it resulted in a big box office return, so that's why they greenlit to do a sequel. Uh, what was it, about three years later? It was like because his well, there, there was talk about it eventually. There was talk about it being a Michael Myerless sequel like Halloween 3, but nobody really wanted to do it just because of the fact that 3 was so poorly received. Right. I but, honest to God believe that they should have just remade it after that. Really? They should have just, they shouldn't have it, done a sequel. They, they should, shouldn't have done a sequel. They should have let that story be told. And if you need another Halloween movie, do a remake. I mean, start, you know, Psycho remake, it just came out, even though that wasn't the most successful. It proves that a remake can exist. Yes. But I feel like, I mean, remakes have gone in trends in Hollywood and stuff like that. Like, like if you look at the eighties, like the, a lot of those, the, like uh, we brought up this conversation yesterday. Uh, there was a lot of remakes of F fifties and even earlier properties in the eighties, where like they had a chance to have a new life and everything like that. And just periodically, like oh, like uh, remakes will die down, and then they'll eventually come back. And I just don't think it was right, right at the time, right then and there, that that was going to happen. However, like. That would change in 2001 with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, even though... It was 2003. It was 2003? Yep. Okay. But yeah, that was the one that really kicked off the horror movie remake series like that lasted up until, like, pretty much, you can almost argue Scream 4, which kind of parodied the Halloween... I mean, the horror movie remake, and that was the whole... That was the whole... uh, theme of that movie, or... and the genesis of that movie, so... I guess the remakes were not going to happen, but I agree that... With the finality of H2O, a remake could have happened then. They should have just waited and come up with something right in the form of a remake. Like, even if even if they had to miss out on years' worth of stuff, like, whatever. I, I like it better than the explanation that, you know, a, a Michael switched with a paramedic, yet meanwhile, when you watch the ending of H2O and you watch him fly through a windshield, yeah, a, pa- a normal person would sit up and not just be, 
Like, you know, ow, and like writhe be, in pain. Not just be writhing in pain horribly. He'd get you know hit by a van, just roll down a hill like a, like a, like Chris Farley and fucking Tommy Boy, <laughs> land on a branch, and then have the the van land on him and still be cognizant of what's going on. Yeah, and not immediately take off a mask. And not immediately take. I would have done that after I flew through the windshield. I would have yeah. done that while I was in the body bag. But like, I'm just sitting there like, why can't I breathe? Yeah. So no, I'm sorry, but your explanation of how Michael survived is not does not work for me. Up yours. So you say it's a, so you say it's a lamer explanation of a, like a lamer explanation for a sequel than Halloween Four. I think it's worse than Greedo shooting first. Wow, fuck man, that is saying something. When you talk about a, a uh, it's illogical. I can't believe in it. I can't buy it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh man, and then Halloween Resurrection picks up a few years after H two O, and Laurie Strode is committed to a mental hospital with Michael. Somehow finds her because he because does. Because Michael Myers, and then he kills her because Jamie Lee Curtis wants out of this dog and pony show. I mean, like, she she was the luckiest person in, in that movie because... <laughs> she not, got to leave early. Yeah, I mean, like, even amongst the cast and crew and the audience, but she got to leave the earliest. Mm-hmm. And so, That's when we should have left. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if some people just got up after that, after at that moment, just, like, left the theater at that point. Seriously, I thought that there was going to be, like, some big revelation or something at the end. I, I don't... I don't know. I was just I was looking for something, and it didn't happen. It was just kids are in Michael Myers' house, and he kills him. It felt weak. He's saying like, what kind of revel- did you have anything in mind in particular? Something, when it came to something revelation? to do with the character of what was it, Sarah, who was like the the female lead? Yeah, something to do with her. But no, but nothing it, happened. No, not, it, not a fucking thing. Like, Myers' it, house burned down. I mean, like that's I mean, like that's almost like a metaphor for that fucking franchise. It was a metaphor for my heart <laughs> burning down. And the thing is, like... Probably also from the movie theater pizza I had before the uh, movie. Speaking of heartburn. (laughs) And the thing, like, with the... It was trying to capitalize on the um, popularity of Blair Witch Project, which came out a year after H2O, which was kind of like a found footage movie, and... A high, like, uh, standard defi- definition cameras rather than a film camera. and like Just po- shitty-ass webcam, not even standard definition. Yeah. Shitty-ass webcam, crappily recorded, first-person footage, web series, dated now by today's standards. Yeah, and you could you could argue, that, like, hey, at least they tried something different, but, like, it's almost, like, half-assed at that point because they keep cutting back and forth between the, the webcams and the actual... That's like me saying, yeah, tomorrow I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try crystal meth. <laughs> Because I want to try something different. And, like, even, like, just for shits and giggles, you and I would listen to the commentary track to Halloween Resurrection and just Rick Rosenthal's lethargic way through that commentary is just ridiculous. Well, from, he, he enjoyed it from a technical perspective. Yeah. That's really all he could say about it. Like, wow, this is really cool from a technical perspective. Yeah, we built a replica Myers house on the soundstage and blended it seamlessly with street footage and... Yeah, we managed to get all these actors to work with all the scenes with first-person cameras and actually incorporate that real footage. But, like, anything else beyond that, like, the story-wise or anything, or, like, even, like, the acting, like, not saying the acting was bad or anything like that, it's just, like, characters written stupidly, like, the blonde chick, like, like just being, like, so slutty it's on all camera. Just stereotypes. Yeah, and then, like, have her beheaded was also just awesome. Uh, just, like, even though it really should, like, despite how strong Michael is, one swipe beheading somebody with a kitchen knife is a little 
far fetched. While during watching that movie, someone could have tried it on me, and I would have been happy because I could <laughs> stop watching that movie. Hope, and knowing me, that last couple of seconds after your head hits the ground would be pointing at the screen. So yes. that'd be the last thing I see is Halloween Resurrection. And then the movie ends with Buster Rhymes kung fu fighting Michael Myers out a window, setting him on fire. And my favorite line in the whole movie: "Trick or treat, motherfucker." Is just fantastic. The fact that you have a favorite anything in this movie makes you makes me want to be around you less. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's either that or when it's the two Michael Myers when Buster Rhymes is dressed up as Michael Myers and confuses the real Michael with his rambling underneath the mask, like. I'm playing Michael Myers. Can we stop talking about this? The, the movie we're talking about is Halloween, the, the remake. We yeah, but like, about- we have to, we have to set the tone of how this movie got greenlit and how I think the reason why so much was so much carte blanche was given to Rob Zombie is because uh, what they allow, what what happened with Halloween Resurrection. So Halloween Resurrection comes out, bombs, and then. Kind of I want dis- to make a really inappropriate joke, but I really shouldn't. So oh, I know exactly it. where you're going with that. No, I, 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 no, 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 no. I will. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna put the kibosh on that right there, right there. Oh man, just know, if you know your Halloween franchise history and who's involved, producers-wise, you know exactly where he's going with that. Anyway, so several years go by, and the kind there is of the death of Mustafa Akkad that we have to talk about. He's yes. the main person, so the series really was left lost in a in a short period of time. And then it, it, around this time, a new kind of generation of horror filmmakers come on the scene with the people like James Wan, Eli Roth, and Rob Zombie, Alexandra Isaiah, with movies like Hot Tension, Saw, Hostel, and Cabin Fever, and Devil's Rejects, House of Thousand Corpses. So a new kind of brutal form of horror movies have taken hold of the zeitgeist. A thousand milligrams of ambient for me. <laughs> and with the Devil's Rejects being a financial success for the Weinstein Company after they bought House of Thousand Corpses because Universal didn't want it, uh, they said, like, what do you want to do? And even though he said in various interviews that oh, it would say he did not want to do remakes because he thought it would be stupid. I, I assume the Weinsteins guaranteed him a, a buttload of money to I'm make. I'm sure they brought a, a uh, burlap sack with a dollar sign on it. It must have been like it, that like that cartoonishly to allow this. And well, I think probably in 2006. The, the it was spring 2006 that it was announced, I remember, because I remember being excited. On MySpace, because like that's when like the Halloween pages are kind of uh, revealed. On MySpace, I thought it was awesome. I really was not a fan of House of a Thousand Corpses. I thought it was pretty juvenile and stupid. Right. But the thing about it was that I actually I had not seen Devil's Rejects up until that point because I, I didn't get into Rob Zombie's movies. Were you, was... were you a fan of his music at this point? Uh, not anymore, because ever since Educated Horses came out and, and it nosedived. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, what the hey? I mean, why would you want to listen to that? No. You just trotted away from Educated Horses ass, more like. <laughs> oh, but man. Yes, you you I, didn't get saddled up with that album, that's for sure. No, I didn't get saddled up with that album. <laughs> you, you, as I say, you don't even have, like, any, like, fucking witty retorts based upon my puns now. Anywho, I'm going to go back to ignoring Tim. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's okay, everybody does. But anyway, when I heard it was announced, like, I, I, I was all right with it. Because the one thing I can at least say about Rob Zombie's movies is that when you're watching a Rob Zombie movie, you know it's a Rob Zombie movie. It has a style, it has an atmosphere. For better or for worse. For better or for worse. I thought that House of a Thousand Corpses was desperately trying to be Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes. But the fact that they captured the whole crazy cannibal redneck thing, for better or for worse worked yeah so i figured okay he could at least he could at least make write something, something well he, he could at least make something that 
works. Yeah, it affects the audience in an in in yes, uncomfortable you can make way. Yes, that affects you. Yes. Yes. So I, w- I was comfortable with that idea. Um, spent the next year just hyped to hell. And, and I also hoped that this would, because this was such a high-profile project for Rob Zombie, yeah. that he would finally gear back more of his more flamboyant, outlandish craziness that he puts in his movie. Right. In, like, in all his movies, it was just excessive swearing, and crazy rednecks, and raping people. This, and yeah, I mean, like for some reason, like bad that, dialogue, that bad amalgamation worked for the Devil's Rejects, but like I think that's it suited that story. And the, like you, you look at like something like the Lords of Salem that doesn't really work because I only saw a few minutes of it. Thirty One's like the closest thing back to Devil's Rejects, but even that has apparently its problems, with the exception of like one actor in it, but. You, like I, I understand where you're coming from. That you're hoping that like he would be a little bit more mature. mature, yeah, being but, handling with this subject matter. But if you look and oh, <laughs> I mean, Ooh. before we get to the movie, we gotta talk to the, about the treatment. All right. Well, close enough into the, the, the into early 2007, the treatment I never actually read, but um, one of his earliest drafts of the script leaked online. He went online and denied it up and down. Oh, this is not the real thing. It was called, like, the shooting script. And, oh, I don't know these words that these are in that people use shooting script. Um, Rob Zombie is full of shit when he says that because yes. if you take any copy of the movie, DVD, Blu-ray, whatever, you look under the special features and you watch the screen tests of both Dave Kirk, the uh, actor playing young Michael Myers, mm-hmm. and Scout Taylor Compton. They're reciting lines in their screen test from the original draft script. script. Yeah. I remember watching that when I got the DVD. I'm like, this sounds really familiar. Like, oh my God, it's from that shitty script. Oh, and uh, shit is the operative word with this. I mean, like, one of the, one of the most – two of the things that really fucked with me when I was reading I – because I read this today before I went to work. And while I was at work, while I was getting ready for my game to start. Did your work day better? No, it didn't because it kind of left me in a funk that it kind of lasted, that lasted for eight hours until I came here. And Did I put you in a worse one? Oh, no, no, you're <laughs> fine. I mean, it's it's like the one moment that, like, two moments that really fucked with me is that, like, it shows him, like, my, young Michael Myers masturbating early, like the opening scene with him. In, yes, the opening was not just him playing with his rat with a pocket knife and killing it off screen. It was him with a scrapbook filled with pictures of dead animals that he killed himself, uh, hardcore porno mags with things like Die Mom, Slut Whore written on it. Yes. And a tape recorder that he used frequently for all his kills as a young boy of him masturbating to the sound of him killing a cat. Yeah. That's where... Later on, in, during the breakfast scene, the whole Judith Myers stroking the milk bottle. Yeah, that, that's, that's where that originated. Yeah, I mean, like with that in mind that 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 stroking is is not out of context, but like still, like like what the fuck? And that's I guess and the that's fact, like that's like the second scene, like other than the establishing shot of the Myers house. The fact that he points out the heavy breathing during the script, like are we to imagine that's where the Michael Myers' heavy breathing originated from? Him jerking off to the sound of a cat being killed. Just oh. And then, and like, later in the scene, like, later on in the movie, when he leaves the elementary school and he stalks a little girl and... Yes, he doesn't kill any of the bullies. Which, which, like, I understand, like, at least killing the little girl makes him more evil, like, outright. But, like, even still, like, tricking her into, like, this false ditch in the middle of the woods and then beating her with a two-by-four and then eventually urinating and on her. Pissing on her body and recording yourself doing it. Like... 
it's just it's just fucked up. It's just, I mean, I, I like, think, like, well, like, first off, it takes away all the mystique of him being the boogeyman, this force. Oh, that, I mean, that, no that, that, force. That, it seems like that was not his intention in this movie that he wanted to make him human. He's no longer a force. He's he's like someone evil who like turned into a force, and like I, I kind of feel like those two concepts don't. At least for the audience's sake, when trying to unnerve and unseat an audience that doesn't work, I've always my ideal remake would always be something. For like, the, I think probably the third time now, I have to reference the original novelization of Halloween, right? Where he's just a normal boy, but his mother's starting to notice something different about him. Right? Like he's he's fighting with his sister a lot. He's wetting the bed. She's finding weird like coloring book drawings. But other than that, on the surface, he's completely normal, and the only murder he commits is his sister. I think that leaves something to, like, legend, you know? Yeah. Not like a serial killer who kills multiple people or whatever. Like, no, it's just this small child that just one night out of fucking nowhere... Snaps. ...kills his sister. And, and, and the the um, the shock of, like, oh, it's your... The whole motif of, oh, it's your family, it's your sister, it's your blood. It's not someone who bullied you, so you could point... you could put a motive behind it. Oh, it was revenge. Oh, it was whatever, you know? It's he killed his sister, you mm. know? There's something... There's something unnerving that would lead to an urban legend like Michael Myers would become. Yeah, because you, cause if you were any of the neighbors on that block or anybody in that town that thinks of the Myers family being a relatively normal... every Like, nothing would stand out about them or all of a sudden, one night, one of your residents just snaps and kills his older sister. And it's and, a small child. Yeah. And it's something that would stick with you. I mean, it would be the endless topics of town gossip for years to come after that they'd and be, they'd like, be passing notes through the collection plate at church of, oh my god did you hear about the myers boy yeah pretty much or no it'd be like uh bye bye birdie with like all the telephone calls connected and stuff like that and selling <laughs> like that it would just be it'd be later that night on halloween just everybody calling each other it'd be like the courtroom scene from johnny dangerously when all the all the reporters run out to the one phone they pick up the lady who's on it throw her on the floor and then start fighting with each other over the, the phone, phone. <laughs> And uh, before we like, we, so I know we had, we're talking a lot about it before we actually get into the movie that we saw. Well, which first? Let's continue because the thing is, we we there's so much that we need to cover before we need to like jump into the movie itself. What we looked into was a treatment, early draft of the script, and three cuts of the movies. Yes, and all three of those have elements that should not only be removed, but all evidence of them, their existence, destroyed. Now, but you, also. Things that kind of intrigue me, and I think, hmm, I would love to to cherry pick from all five of these sources. Are you saying is there a way, like, is there a like a fan edit? You think there's a way to do even like you just you cut in storyboard like storyboards in the scenes that were not there? I don't think it would work because it would break your immersion. Yeah, I know. But being like, a storyboard, I, I know. But like you've seen those people do the fan edits of like the the stars prequels or something like that, where they cut down a lot of stuff, or you see like early pre visualizations of like behind the scenes stuff. Like, do you think like there is a version of the movie? I know it's like you're saying it's you go into that knowing that it's going to be different, but you think there is a cut of that movie that's salvageable amongst those five sources salvageable yes better than salvageable well salvageable based on only the three sources because those are the only three that made it to film yeah salvageable well well better based on all five sources because i feel that the um treatment covered i'm torn on whether or not the treatment covered michael's time in the sanitarium better than the actual film did i think it did because at least one thing with the a patient fucking with Michael, rather than him killing a nurse, I think is more believable. A nurse who insulted him, depending on what cut of the movie you saw. Yeah, and... 
his complete shutdown and yeah, but like it's he's like he's in complete shutdown in that mode since the murder. Yes, and then having him not saying a goddamn thing the entire time the same I think works rather than him being a relatively still a normal kid. I mean, sure, it would be really tough to write scenes like that for the actual script, but I think that's a little more interesting. Like just seeing how many different ways that Lumi's could approach this child, and I would go back to the original monologue that Donald Plantis has that like I spent eight years trying to reach him, then seven years trying to. Uh, keep him locked up, I think that would just give credence to that speech. Well, also, one thing I love, because I just, I actually just finished the script right before you came by, and I loved how they set up Michael's breakout, where they, where Loomis had retired from taking care of Michael, as he does in the movie, but he retired a little earlier that we don't see, and he had been off of it for like 18 months. Yeah. He'd been away f- from Michael for like 18 months. And in that 18 months, the doctors at the sanitarium, the people running it, had kind of just decided, you know, this guy's not going to do anything. He hasn't done anything in however long. He's, he's pretty much the chief from like one flu of the cuckoo's nuts at that point. Yeah. So let's put him in a minimum, minimum security wing. He can get a job. You know, these were actual lines from the script. He can get, eventually get a job working at a toll booth or lo- unloading a dock, you know? Yeah. Like he can, he can transition out. Let's get him into a minimum security wing. And that was the setup. But then, we'll talk about this more in a little bit, then the other half of that in the script, which we absolutely thought was award-winning, was oh. the fucking rape scene breakout. Yes. But if you were to take the rape scene breakout out and put in the transfer scene that we got in the theatrical cut, more on that later, too, and, yeah. how, and how that made it in there, uh, and how that was the one thing from all these different variations that... Uh, had to get made at the last minute. Yeah, well, when we say five words, we're talking about the treatment, we're talking about the shooting script, we're talking about the work print, the theatrical cut, and the director's, director's cut. cut. I know, it's a lot. I it mean, was a lot, like, and if all five of those weren't so radically different in many in many different ways. It's like almost like, it's like, we're, like we get like f- a few different, we have the same puzzle, like four different variations of the pu- same puzzle just dumped on top of each other. We're trying to put them all together, hoping to find something really cohesive and enjoyable. And it's like we're trying to like rebuild. I don't know, just like a fucking something ridiculous right now. And this is why we we can't even talk about the movie itself because we got to talk about all these other uh, preconceived uh, topics before we even get into the movie. Yes, but I mean, the, the, with that whole thing, like I love that how they that set up his breakout. He's being transferred, and then the actual transfer scene where he breaks out, where he does strike. Yes, that I thought would have been great. But also, also seeing the townspeople and uh, probably family members or his vic- of his victims of like that protesting that uh, that court appearance I think that's also something that would have been more interesting to see to see an actual that people have not forgotten about him well I f- what I find is also very odd is that there in the work print there actually was they actually filmed that the scene of his hearing yeah but it was the complete opposite where they denied his transfer yeah I, which I I like I, I assume that was just probably like him Rob's already pacing around the house, like, like, uh, I guess that wouldn't work. And maybe that's, I guess that was the kind of the catalyst to him to break out at that point because he knew he didn't have he knew chance. He, was gonna, he knew he was going to be stuck there. Yeah. Wait, wait. I don't know. It's, like I said, there is, if we take part A of this and, like, part two of this and put it together, it would make it a little if bit we make better. a Frankenstein's monster out of all these body parts. That, yeah, that's what it pretty much is at this point. And then yeah. strike it with lightning and hope it sets on fire still. Well, and the last thing I want to talk about the treatment when it comes to it is, like, one thing that really irked me, or not, it is kind of like I felt really disgusted at, is that after Judith has had sex with her boyfriend and Michael has 
taking the mask off of the Jewish boyfriend, goes upstairs, and Jewish is still naked on the bed with her headphones on, unaware that somebody's entered the room, that Michael fondles her breasts and stuff like that, and that's what... Yeah, I wonder why that was cut out. This is what we want to have you, little boy do, ma'am. I mean, like, even if you don't, like, have that... He's a man now. You could have had, like, a fucking, like, stand in hand to shoot that in close-up and have, like, somebody with, like, like, very, like, like, that joke from that Burger King commercial where it's, like... Like, I want to get this Whopper, but I got these tiny hands that have, like, those digitally small hands on his body. It's well, like just had Michael wearing the Burger King mask. <laughs> that have been scarier than that the actual been, mask. That have been more entertaining. Uh, I mean, like, how hilarious, like, that shot of, like, uh, Lori Beach stalked down the, the street. It's, it's, it's the Burger King instead, kicking in the door, scaring the little kids. Yeah, it reminds me of Fight Night Round 3, which is for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, which was actually had Burger King as a sponsor. And one of your coaches can actually be the Burger King. The- and you will see him accompany you to the ring <laughs> One of your trainers, the Burger King. Get up, you son of a bitch! Just coming out of like the lips that not moving or anything oh. like that. That'd be hilarious. So, all right. Now, before I got to see the theatrical cut of the movie, before the movie came out in 2007, I got a chance like the work pen. One of the work prints being leaked online. I got a chance to see before. The movie came out. Did you have the same situation, or um, I did. Well, just just to close on the the treatment and shooting the script. Sp- shooting script situation. The, the, another thing I found I was not happy with from the shooting script treatment was the amount of animal killings for no fucking reason, showing that you know he's still just like he just loves to kill, but like uh, yeah, like how many dogs did he kill in this, the third act of the movie? Like he just multiple, and he left them strung up around town and stuff like that. Like that could have worked. I mean, like, that would have been, like, just, like, a nice omen for something to return to. But, like, I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it takes away from Michael Myers, because I, I think Loomis described Michael Myers perfectly in Halloween Part 4. He's here to kill that little girl and anyone who gets in his way. Michael only kills who gets in his way. He's a force, and nothing can stop that force. Yet he did kill a dog. He killed... Because the dog got in his way. Well, no, no, no. He ate a dog. He ate parts of a dog in the first one. Well, to survive. That's true. Because he still had bodily fluids. I'm sure there's, you know, B-roll footage of him squatting behind a bush somewhere. Yeah. And shitting out <laughs> dog. Uh, and then there was the, like, in the, the uh, I guess it was in both cuts. Uh, when we see Lewis go to the cemetery of the actual movie, like, he crucified, like, was it a goddamn fox? A coyote. It was a coyote. And, like, that's a bit unnecessary. I mean, it would, be, it, would, it would be along those lines of just strung up dogs around Hatton. Well, I felt the fact that he did it over his sister's grave was kind of more symbolism. Right. That's something me, it just wasn't random for the sake of being random. Oh, and another thing with the treatment is that Michael, like, mo- Michael's mother does not kill herself after him, like, snapping at somebody in the sanitarium. And Michael goes and sees her. She stays alive until he breaks out. He, he just manages to find her living in the trailer park where she, uh,. Kills herself because she won't give over where Lori is. And actually, in the treatment and shooting script, Michael speaks. That was one of the bigger controversies. Boo. Says one word, boo, because that was his nickname for Lori as a baby. Boo. And I think that that seemed to have worked if she turned the gun on Michael and tried to kill him. I, I, I feel and like... And have him kill her. I don't know. I, I feel like to create this legend of this force, all connections to him must be dead and he must be the only thing alive. Yeah, like, still, like, she would have tried to kill him, and, like, that would have No, but I mean, like, beforehand, before he's an adult, you know, like, to let this grow, like, the house was abandoned because his parents died in a car crash or whatever, right? under mysterious circumstances, and this, the the Myers name is tarnished and haunted, Mm. and then Lori finds out about it and is like, oh my god, I'm related to these nuts. 
And the thing is, they call her Lori in the yes. the script and stuff like that in, in the first one. But like in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, it's Angel Myers. Also, one hugely missed opportunity I thought would have been great was they actually explored Loomis's family life. Yeah, and like the toll seen... it took on his wife. Yeah, and like in the treatment, like she's still married to him, and when he gets the call that Myers escaped, and he's yes, Loomis has a wife. He's around dinner with his family, and then he gets a call that you know Michael Myers has escaped, or no, Michael Myers is being transferred, and his wife like starts to break down because she thought that like since he had retired months earlier, done. it was done. It, I could finally put this Michael Myers shit behind me, right? Because there's probably a, pl- a blight upon their personal relationship at that point because he's been so obsessed with this one patient that's kind of been the, they ruled the day that he ever came in contact with him. Well, when you watch the original six films that uh, Donald Pleasance was in, one of the things that's got to be in the back of your mind is like, what is this guy's life must be like? Yeah. You never see the fucking sacrifice that Loomis truly makes. You only see it on his body, but... Uh, I mean, you you do see it on his psyche, but you never see it on the people in his life. Mm. Everything that, else, I he, found it fascinating. And you don't even see that like his his home until Halloween Six, and that's briefly when uh, Doctor Wynn goes to see him at his home. That's like a home he retired to. That's not yeah. even where he was for all these years, you know. Or, or like then you see like an H two O like all like the original files, his office, and stuff when he like moved that. in with Marion. Yeah, and I was thinking about this because I was watching the original Star Wars yesterday and seeing Peter Cushing in there and just imagine how different would have Halloween been if Peter Cushing said yes very different I think him or Christopher Lee yeah and somebody actually did a photoshop of uh, Peter Cushing in the yellow trench coat and everything like that and it had been very interesting and I don't think he, he would have came back for any sequels I mean, the shooting script, to, to close on the shooting script and treatment, I mean, the, both of them, the treatment followed the fucking remake, the, the original in the third act to the T. Yeah, with the pretty exception much until like the few, end. With the exception of a few dead animals, is pretty much like beat for an, goddamn beats. There was an overly long sequence about them trying, Loomis and Brackett trying to get into the adoption record files, and that could have been cut, and I'm glad it was. Yeah, I thought I mean, it did nothing. Yeah, I mean, like, I assume it's like a, a thing to cut away to. And so, but like, it, like it's unnecessary. Like it was, it was not needed. It wasn't bad, but it was unnecessary. His re, his rewrite of having like that bracket had bracket was been, involved. Bracket was up makes more sense. And I think it actually makes Bracket's character a little more interesting. It makes not him much. interesting, and it helps with the whole you know Haddonfield's dirty little secret of the Myers family. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, it's even explored even further in Halloween Two. That's the one like good thing you could say about Halloween Two's with that kind of yes, revelation coming it, about. Well, anyways, moving on from that, months later had passed. For me, the Halloween trailer, the first teaser trailer, yeah, I was like, I was chomping at the bit, dying for. I went to go see Grindhouse. Yes. Um, or like, I could have left after the trailer and I would have been satisfied. Mm-hmm. I saw that trailer. I fucking loved it. Every second of it. This mm-hmm. was before a lot of post-production things were done, before a lot of the shots and angles were finalized, zoomed in. There was no color correction whatever everything yeah, was, was natural a, yeah it was all natural lighting and everything like that i loved it because it almost felt like it had a snuff film sense to it like rob zombie's overuse of shaky cam which we will get into yes but the shaky cam some of the way some of the angles were positioned and the lighting it almost had like a snuff film quality which kind of had me unnerved in my seat um i absolutely loved a lot of the uh the nods like michael wearing the sheet yeah attacking linda I love the absolute contrast of his pursuit of Laurie after he finally strikes it, it, during the climax. Mm-hmm. How, as opposed to she gets away back to the Doyle house and there he is and you know walking up and it's cutting back and forth and you're on the edge of your seat. This time he's literally trailing her. Yeah, 
but she's injured, you know, got the injury, but he's walking, he is, he is tailing her, he's on her ass, it's, it had like an element of suspense in my imagination, which is going nuts, and, oh my god, I couldn't wait, it was amazing, it had me so hyped. And, and one of my favorite moments of that, that trailer is, one is the news broadcast that's like, that's providing the exposition of the trailer. That was the, the theatrical trailer, the second one. Oh, right, like, yeah. yeah, oh, okay, yes, yes, you're right, and then... The original the- teaser ends with Annie trying to get out of the house, and like it, Michael pulling her back, and in. it ramp, it speed ramps her, getting yanks back into the like that. I think was a perfect explanation point for that trailer. I'll say the full theatrical trailer I did not like as much because that's when they started finalizing things like angles and color correction, and I just wasn't. Li- I love the natural lighting so much better. I think it's maybe just because of how effective Carpenter used natural lighting on ho- the original Halloween. Yeah, but you like they still used a lot of blue moonlight, especially when they're in the kitchen and. and well, yes. The- but like it was never like it was like it wasn't like fucking James Cameron blue like like his night lighting is like yeah. everything's like very like Alice blue and everything like that and it was it's more like all right like we color balance for this and like all right but we have this one light that's this color but like we're still very natural we didn't like push and pull the colors too much when it came to the post production or anything like that. An example of something I truly love from the when when we're talking about snuff film quality from the teaser if you. If, you folks out there, watch the teaser trailer of Halloween. Go on YouTube, whatever. There's a moment in it when you see Michael break through the door of the Doyle house, and there's Lori sitting at the bottom of the steps, and you hear Tommy and Lindsay screaming, and the camera's shaking, moving back. It has a fucking snuff film quality yes. to it, where you're like, what the fuck am I watching? And it's almost like a jump cut with like him like kicking in the door. Like yeah. It almost skips a few frames. Like That's how forceful he kicks in that door like he speeds up the film at that moment didn't use it in any cut of the movie and i cry for it yes that was so cool and the, and the pursuit shots were all in close of lori yeah and, and never, color corrected to, it was to never death. they never went to the wide for they never had that wide i love that wide shot of him tailing her on her ass could get her at any second and he almost seems like he's toying with her at that point yeah and, and because that that goes back to the boogeyman qualities that like he would fuck with people on Halloween because there he is playing tricks on them. And he's like, it's like trick or treat, but we'll get into that trick or treat. Oh, Christ on the cross. (laughs) Will we get into that? The director's director's cunt that was. It's all smelly and hairy. And so... I got Just like Rob Zombie. Oh, zing. Now, I got a chance to see the work print in the legal uh, website uh, a few months before it came out. Me too, as well. And... I was kind of like, oh, this is interesting. And, they, and the one thing I noticed about that is that they use the Carpenter theme a lot. I think a little too much. Well, they use the uh, Tyler Bates version a lot. I was not a fan. I, I kind of wasn't a fan of most of Tyler Bates's renditions of the old Halloween score. Tyler Bates has done much better work. He has, but the weird part is, is that there were so many variations of it. Like, there's the famous version of the 2007 Halloween theme where it has that, like, dissonant interval to it, where it's, like, high-pitched, but it's all, like, sounds kind of weird, like it's coming out of a broken piano and there's all sound effects going in the back room. I don't like that. Right. I thought that that was overproduced, much like I thought H2O's score was overproduced for the well, Halloween Are you talking about, like, John Ottman's score or the Marco Beltrami? Both. One? Okay. Well, the Marco Beltrami was lifted out of Scream, so I'm not even going to... I don't even We've count, covered Scream before. I don't even count that just because of the fact that that's not a Halloween H2O score. It's a fucking Scream score. I'm talking about John Ottman's version of the Halloween theme, how it's all orchestral. And it says, too big. Too big. Too big, too overdone. Yeah. And and sometimes the chord progressions they use almost... The, the, the I guess, chord or key progressions they use almost sound happy. Right. Like major chord. But, you know, that's another story. 
Um, but that's the funny part. The, Tyler Bates' version of the Halloween... It's called the Halloween 2007 theme, I think, on the soundtrack. I yeah. It. It's not used very much. It's actually... He does a fairly... Fa- a very faceful rendition of Carpenter's. And it's like... Like, it's the only one, like... The one that sticks out of my mind that theme is used when he puts on the mask, when he retrieves it from the house. Well, when, when he leaves... No, when he... Uh, when, as a little kid, he runs out of the school. Yes. Yeah, and I think that was also in the theatrical... It felt so out of place, like... like we just uh, watch I'm, talking, I'm talking about Bates' uh, Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. But, like, yeah, but you, well, like you said, like, him running out of the school and, like, the freeze frame with the title Halloween popping up as he gets out and goes after the bully, like... Oh, yes, that's that's in the work print. Yeah, and it's just really... And I mean, the work print has my favorite ending of... of, of you do the, like that ending better? And for some reason, like, it makes sense. Well, let's let's gear it back to the... Uh, for a minute. Um... First, first impressions of the work print, really, because it was an unfinished movie. Um, what were your real like first impressions? Did you feel that he was onto something? Did you feel like I really don't like this, and I hope they change it? I there was a little bit of concern. I wasn't like, oh, this this is a sinking ship, and like I was, not, I didn't feel like this is the Titanic. That like this is unsalvageable. I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, this is this is. Cool. There's some stuff I like, some stuff I don't like. It's a lot like the original Halloween, but there's a lot that's different. So I was cautiously optimistic. I think that's how I would describe my feelings after seeing the work print. You, what were yours? Um, I'd say similar. I, I felt that I felt that he just gave away too much of Michael. Like Michael's fucking everywhere. Like we see him kill the gravekeeper. We. Uh... His, his, uh, well, there's obviously the rape breakout, which, you know, is wonderful. We see him literally just walking, strolling through the field of Smith Grove, you know, no security cameras, no guards running out to stop him. And, like, yeah, he's just always there. It's like whenever he kills someone, it's almost like there's no real setup. Not even a setup, there's no surprise to it. No. Where he could be anywhere. There's no, no suspense. His his killing of Lori's father. He literally just walks up to the house and Steb slashes his face with the knife. It's like, okay, I know it's gonna happen. No suspense. His uh, killing of Bob, Linda's boyfriend, in, in the work print cut is literally Bob's looking for beer in the truck. He's alone, and by this point, you pretty much know he's gonna pop up behind. Yeah. As opposed to the theatrical, where you see someone walking down the hall with the sheet on. You're kind of set up to think it's Michael, but then Michael strikes out of nowhere. Yeah. So it was Bob's idea to use the sheet at first, and then he gets him, and then it had a nice little nod to the original. Yeah, with him being stuck to the wall. Yeah, and of course Linda doesn't say a word about the commotion that just happened in the hallway. You know, no, because so you could tell it was shot differently. But that's also one of Rob Zombie's tropes that I've heard as a filmmaker is that he will get an idea on the spot and then just sort of interrupt everything to shoot it. Now, do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I think a little of both. It depends on the situation. Is that, it it, it, situation. You can't make a blanket statement saying that, like, no. oh, like, all that is terrible, all that is great. Because you could sit there, write this shit out, you could storyboard it out as much as you want, but when you're there, camera in hand, lights, camera, action, right. and an idea pops in your head, when you're looking at something and you sort of see it differently than how you envisioned it, I, I think that's kind of cool that he's willing to take that chance as a filmmaker. I mean... Which could be, like, at least he shows up somewhat prepared, knows what he wants to do, rather than he shows up like, okay, what are we going to do today? Just improving it, yeah. Which could be incredibly disastrous if you if you go down that route. I mean, like, I mean, you think of, like, William Freakin, the guy who did, like, French Jackson and The Exorcist, doesn't storyboard and doesn't really do a shot list. He, like, shows up on the day, 
hours before everybody else, and he kind of walks through the scene himself. And then that's how, like, when they get there, everybody gets there, like, all right, we're going to do this, 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 this. And, like, okay. And then they'll work out the blocking from his note, his ideas that they came with the day of. That works for him. Then you look at, like, the Coen brothers, they storyboard everything, and you see how those movies turn out. Rob Zombie has a balance. Yeah. He has a balance. A lot of things will be done differently, but he'll recycle some stuff. Like, like dialogue has always been an issue. Yeah. In all three cuts of the movie, um, I don't know how many different scenes he managed to recycle the same phrase, row of Christmas pudding. Yeah, seriously. Um, a row of Christmas pudding. Yes, Loomis saying row of Christmas. I've never used that. I've never, I've never heard anyone use that. I've never heard anyone be called an army of shirt tuckers. I, I don't know what that means. I'm a shirt tucker. Okay, I like looking neat. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I like you fucking nasty old man. Go take a bath. Yeah, I, I mean... I mean, it's probably not the silliest line that Malcolm McDowell's ever said on a movie. Like, I think, like, I forget what the hell the movie is, but Nostalgia Creek made fun of it, and he used, like, a soundbite of it, like, I'm going to the sock op! I mean, I think that's probably one of the silliest things Malcolm McDowell's ever said on film. Uh, with the work print, I like, you know, Udo Kair's scenes, which are pretty much all but chopped out of the theatrical. Tom Tolles is one of the, uh... Tom Tolles is one of the, uh, board members. That, yeah. The one that was the most vocal about keeping Michael behind bars and maximum security forever. Yeah, because more Tom Tolles in my life, sadly, he has passed away, but Mom, more Tom Tolles in movies, I am all for. That's why I love him. Like, in House of Thousand Corpses, he's one of the shining lights. Henry in the Portrait of Seal Killer, he was great in. And, like, having him in this, I mean... He gets to play two different roles because, it, depending on which cut you see, whether you see that or the theatrical cut, he gets to play. He was a security guard in the theatrical cut, which we will get to. Yeah. <laughs> um, any last thoughts on the work print? Um. Well, I, when I watched it, I knew, I knew when I watched it, I knew I was in for something that, in the end, I probably wasn't going to love. But because I knew that, because I knew that this was just a working cut it wasn't yeah. anything final i knew there were going to be changes made i still was very optimistic mm-hmm. um I, I, I mean yeah I was, I was just still very optimistic the ending i thought was cool enough but as time goes by as time goes by i i kind of feel like it it doesn't do the character the the aura of michael myers a service i still feel like it humanizes him too much well you 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 brought up the fact before the like things that have a sense of finality and, that, and, and it does. Well, we also didn't know that there was going to be a second part. Which, of course. Which had a sense of finality and to this day still does. Yes. Uh, we should do a pot on the second one because there was a lot I had to say about that too. Well, we'll, we'll, cover, that. we'll, co- we'll cover that soon. And well, no, I mean we got to go like fully because there's – Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you know, I'm, I, I was saying like – The future. Yeah, the future. We'll, we'll definitely cover Halloween too. To the future. I mean at that point maybe we're going to have to cover the rest of the Halloween series. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like the, the one we'll probably have to say the least about. Like, we won't say the least about. Maybe. We said everything we had to say about resurrection, so we could never talk about it again as long as we live. Please, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the work print, not the greatest version of the movie. I mean, I think the greatest version of the movie is still yet to be compiled into something. Yeah, there still isn't a greatest version of that movie. So we move on to the theatrical now. Now, how did you first... What was the experience of you seeing the, the I theatrical? I went to see it opening day with two of my friends from work. Our, our dear friend, uh, Mr. Peterson, who we're hoping to get on a uh, pod soon. Yeah. About Universal Monster movies. Hi, yes. Hi, How you doing? Yes. And another friend of ours, Jack, who we worked with. Um, he loves Halloween also. Um, so I think the theaters, I was happy that 
a large amount of restraint was made because this, as many of you have seen it, there's a lot of, a lot of the specifics about what made this movie not really work. We haven't really touched on yet. Um, the crazy redneck family, I, I could have easily done without. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael killing his pet rat, I could have done without. Michael killing the bully, I truly could have done without. Mm-hmm. Because one of the problems I have with Michael Myers is that he kills fucking characters that you hate and you find yourself rooting for Michael Myers. Yeah, he, he fell into the... Because, like, like Dell's Rejects, like, yeah, there are psychopathic killers, but there are also really other deplorable people in that movie so you kind of root for Bill Mosley and Sherry Muzabi and Sid Haig to kill those people especially William Forsythe's losing his shit as the sheriff in that movie and you're like alright and you kind of start to feel sympathetic uh, when he starts to torture them and you're like oh man everything's a little blurred right now and you kind of don't know where your your allegiance fall and for Michael Myers though it doesn't really work yes that works for an original concept like the Devil's Rejects where it was built from the ground up not something that exists is clearly defined mm-hmm and then you sort of do it like this, and it doesn't really work. Yeah, like there's the infamous, the, the, the original, the infamous uh, breakout scene that we haven't fully gone to detail about yet. But in the in the treatment, shooting script, work print, and director's cut, Michael breaks out of Smith Grove because two drunk redneck employees got to be drunk rednecks. I don't know, maybe they ran over Rob Zombie's dog when he was little, and he <laughs> hates drunk rednecks, or he's just mad that he didn't get to remake Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I think that that. That's probably part. It's probably truth in both of those. But two crazy drunk rednecks. I have a bona fide, sure shit, fucking idea. Two crazy drunk rednecks take a female inmate into Michael Myers' cell and rape her on his bed, and he get, breaks out by killing them. And it's her first night too. Yeah, it's her first night. Welcome to the club, sweetie. And, and like I know in the commentary track, like he kind of brings up the fact like how he sort of justifies it because you look at the work practices in mental institutions in the eighties and why. So many like seventies, I think that was seventies, like seventies well, of the 80s, But like that's why like Reagan kind of closed down a lot of those institutions. Things like once the horrors of what was going on in those institutions came to light, a lot of those inmates were kind of released on their own recognizance because I was so sorry of what you've been dealing with. So I'm not saying those things probably do happen in the real world. They probably have happened. They're probably happening right now. However. I don't think that's actually appropriate However, for this in movie. in the context of a Halloween film, this does not help establish Michael Myers as a supernatural force of evil by him heroically murdering two rapists. Yes. And or a bully that picks on him and makes fun of him because his mother is a stripper and his sister is a slut. Yeah. And it's funny. Like One of the guys, uh, uh, the actor is Lou Temple. He was in Devil's Rejects. He had his face cut off. And then the other actor is from Children of the Corn. Uh, like the guy like who grabs like Linda Hamilton, he's like, "Outlander, I have your woman." I'm like, "Wow, you escaped from the children of the corn to become a rapist." And, I love uh, the South Park parody of that. Yes, <laughs> oh my god, it's hilarious. Um, hey, have your woman, Outlander. Uh, Cartman, yeah, exactly. Cartman um, and then having like the theatrical cut, which I think with the escape where he is being transferred by guards. Um, amongst the guards are Tom Tolles in a recast role and Bill Mosley, and have Michael rip the shackles off and then beat the enemy shit out of them and killing them, I think works a little bit better than... See, having... the, thing is, the thing is with that is that they don't establish why he's being transferred. No. You can tell Rob Zombie was pissed off that he had to cut that award-winning scene out of his fucking movie that made it through two, two fucking drafts of a script and two cuts of the film. Now, I wonder, like... You're the Weinstein company. You're like, say if you're not the Weinstein stuff, like you're a script doctor or a script reader for him, like an assistant reading them. 
Having that moment come up in the script, wouldn't you just immediately, like, say no? I would have dropped him off in the most rednecky part of Alabama and said, good luck. Yeah, like, I, I, like, I don't Here know you how... are amongst your kin. Like, how did that get approved by Lionsgate? Um... Somebody, uh, one of the wine scenes is too busy counting his money to read it, and he just says, okay, approved. It's like that joke in Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when they cut to Gus Van Sant, he's just counting his money, like, are we going to get an action call, Gus? Ben, I'm counting. And he's just, pretty much what the wine scenes are probably were doing. Yeah, because I know it suffered from focus groups and stuff. I thought it was just too twisted, sexually twisted, too crazy weird. Um... Oh, the fucking dialogue is just painful in all these cuts. That's the thing, though. Even if you make a super cut, it, it's basically a fucking C-plus at best. <laughs> oh, like, one of my favorite lines is like, Bitch, I'll crawl oh, there! Skull, skull fuck the shit out of you! Choke the chicken, purge my snork on those flappy-ass tits. tits. Oh, my God. Oh, if only Sir Lawrence Olivier was still alive to deliver that. <laughs> fucking UPS couldn't deliver that properly. <laughs> shit. <laughs> Oh my god! So just, I mean, it, it was a special delivery for sure. All right, you see it, you're leaving the theater. How do you feel? Um, well, I know a lot of people that actually did see the work print because you know how a lot of a lot, you know how pretty much every fucking movie is bootlegged on DVD now these days. Yeah, a lot of them were from the uh, work print because I know my aunt and uncle saw it and they thought it was the work print and it was because they got an early bootleg from someone they knew, someone they work with. Right. You know, everyone knows that person that could get you DVDs of, of movies course. that are out in theaters now or before they come out and that was the one that was available for Halloween and they saw it and they thought it was fucking absolutely abhorrent. They thought it was horrible. Yes. They thought it was disgusting and then I said, no, 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 you're watching the leaked version, you know, it was, it was changed. So, I mean, I, we're, we're still not addressing... You know, some of the biggest issues, like, Michael Myers is essentially, in this movie, is essentially built on, instead of being this force that just happens, shockingly, one day. Yeah. He's a kid with a bad upbringing, he's got a horrible family, his father's dead, he's got a stepfather, his sister's a slut, he's bullied at school, all these things, you know? It's the typical serial killer. Yeah. The typical real-life serial killer. That breaks the believability and real fear of a supernatural killer. Yeah. She's not supernatural. He's just fucked up. Yeah, but, like, that, I mean, like, I, I I believe that was the intention for him. Like, he did not want to do supernatural because... Well, it you sucks. Just, I'm sorry. Well, I know that, but like, you think of, like, you think of, like, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the 13th, and then eventually Halloween, like, like Nightmare on Elm Street was built on the fact that it's a supernatural movie. Like, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th eventually became a supernatural movie. Same thing with Halloween. Like, even though he's described as almost human, he has very human characteristics in the very the very first movie. It's not until Halloween 2 where uh, Dick Warlock's performance of Michael Myers, where you start to realize that this is something rather... And that plank of wood with legs? Yes. That it becomes very uh, I'm sorry, I'm apparent. Not a, I'm not a fan of Dick Warlock's performance. Yeah, I know. And, and like, and there's one shot of him that I really liked him, and it's when... He steals a knife from the neighbor's house, and he walks across the lawn, and the 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 babysitter comes out. And he's like, like, Mrs. Elright, like, are you okay? And he goes in there and kills her. Like, that's the only time that performance I really enjoyed. And him coming through the glass door and knocking the door handle out of the way I liked. But, like, him coming down the stairs, like, that really low angle, and just like... It looks boom. like he's half asleep when he's doing he's like it. A, like, sleep... He does look like he's sleepwalking down the flight of stairs. Like, his, that's terrible. His walk is just so lethargic. Like, Nick Castle had a rhythm to it. and a, Like, just... Nick Castle had an intangible quality about him when it came to now, that performance. No, the thing is, like, Nick Castle's father was a dance uh, choreographer and yeah. stuff like that. So, do you think that possibly maybe 
either inherent in him genetically or it's something that he just his father taught him like uh, he came into doing blocking in movies i think it's something he probably picked up maybe a little bit of both i just know that like i i when when we did we did our little uh halloween short film yeah about a year ago now shit yeah we did it, and you let me be Michael Myers. I watched Nick Castle's performance over and over and over. Yeah, specifically his walk across the street, everything, the behind the shoulder angles and stuff. I watched. There was just a rhythm of him that was so crisp, moving, and a lot of I don't want to say hand gestures, but hand work, where he'd like run his hand along a surface that he's like in contact with. Yes, like when I would get in the car. Or when I was coming out of the car, I put my hand on the door to get up, and I just sort of slid it up, you know? Like, there was just there's just a motion I tried to capture mm. based on Nick Castle's performance. And when I got into the car, I put, like, my hands on the... Closed the door, hands on the steering wheel, gently looked over, slid it down the wheel to pick up the flyer, and held it with two hands in front of myself. Didn't, and then didn't put sniff it. Down it. While still looking, didn't sniff it. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, Mr. Zombie. And then, like, put it down while still looking up, as if to convey... Th- totally through body language, everything I was thinking. Yes. I mean, I hope it came across. Yes, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I had many troubles getting out of the car because the car was so freaking small. Yeah, like... I didn't uh, do many retakes to that because I got stuck or I'd hit my head on something. Yeah, I, I mean, like, uh, you did not have the greatest uh, eyesight when it comes to that movie because... Because I wasn't was... wearing my glasses and wearing an obstructive mask in the middle of nowhere with no streetlights at four in the morning. <laughs> four in the morning. <laughs> Sorry. Um... But look, when I saw how Rob Zombie's remake in theaters, uh, my friend Renee and I went to go see it, and we snuck into it because we were not old enough to see it. We're talking we, about downloading movies illegally and sneaking into theaters. We're going to get arrested after this. Yeah, and no one listens to this anyway. That's true. <laughs> uh, and so we like we were like bought tickets to another movie, and we got the usher, and we walked towards the other theater. Like, all right. As soon as we get in there, we'll just sit next to near other people so it look like we're actually part of it. So we get in the theater, we're the only two people in there. So we're like, fuck! So we like, ran to the near yeah, the top why. of it. Yeah, that should be a clear indicator. It is, this is opening day, too. Had a quicker drop-off than a woman getting out of labor. Ha-ha! And so we saw the movie, and I'm like, I, I really dug, dug that. I really enjoyed it so much so that I actually bought a Rob Zombie Halloween poster, and I had that on my wall for like a year or two after that movie. It wasn't until after Halloween 2 that I was like, oh, I'm going to take this down now. And that's it, when I bought did you the... record yourself ripping it up and jerk off to the sound of you doing that? No, but like as soon as I got rid of that, I got the original Halloween poster that now you have on your own. No, I have. Thank you. Thank no, you for that. Of course. And yeah, so like I enjoyed the movie when it first came out, but it's not until like maybe it's just I become more mature or like just like the sinking in of like what the actual intention of that movie is that kind of like, oh, that's not really good. It takes away the supernatural aspect of Michael, but the one thing that it does replace, which intrigued me a lot, is his obsession with masks. Um, we will revisit this when we do the Rob Zombie's H2 one because of how he, how he himself fucked that up. Yeah. Probably out of apathy at that point, but that's another subject. But Michael Myers, he has like, he's got like a severe disassociative disorder. Like you notice he never, in the movie, he never does any killings without his mask on. No. If he takes it off for a second, he does it just to observe what's about to happen and then puts it back on. He sees that his true face. He hates his real face. Yes. Like he says, when he says he's in the sanitarium, I wear my mask to hide my ugliness. Yeah. So he lives inside this, inside his mask. As but he's in the Rorschach, sa- he is not, I yes. have to say. 
as he's in the sanitarium, though, he um, he's approached by Danny Trejo's character, the the, uh, the janitor, yeah, who befriends him, treats him very nicely, and teaches him how to like sort of live inside his head because, as he said, his character, you know, spent time in prison or whatever. He told him to learn to live inside your head, learn to live inside yourself. So that added to it because as more and more unhinged as he got from being locked up in a mental institution, he just fell into himself more. In, in the director's cut, though, which we will also get into, there are these little, like, Super 8 footage scenes that are cut into his time in the mental institution where Loomis is talking about how he's falling further and further into the idea of these masks, that they're covering up who he is, and he's falling... The, the real Michael Myers is now lost inside this shell. This, and he even uses the word, this shape. Yeah. A nod to... The, like the original description of the character as, the shape. Si- as simply the shape, because he's almost un- undefinable at that point. I like that, and that's a lot of what makes... That's a lot of what makes me torn between the time in the sanitarium that is described in the treatment and what we got. Yeah. Because I love the idea of, you know, Michael Myers, once he commits the murder, he's now just this silent entity that just exists right but as this we see him delving into it it's more cycle it's kind of like it's kind of like when you watch the original halloween and you just want you want to know more you're obsessed with it like you, you it becomes part of your mind like i have to know more i have to know yeah. what's going on so i mean on one hand it can totally ruin your experience of michael myers but if you're already a huge fan of the series and have seen the first one as your as if you've seen the first one first, the original classic first, yeah, it probably won't really do anything. I don't think it, it, it. I mean, this movie did not ruin Halloween for me. I could pop in a copy of the original Halloween anytime and love every second of it. Of course. So, I, but I think it's an intriguing perspective to look at after you've already been very engrossed and ingrained in the original series and what it provided. Mm-hmm. Now let's actually talk about the actors and characters in this movie. So let's talk about. The titular character. Let's talk about let's talk about Dave Furch's uh, performance as young Michael Myers. Like an hour into this podcast, I really felt. Yeah, this is gonna be a long one, folks. Yeah, I really felt like he didn't really start to shine until he was in the sanitarium. Yeah, because he was just just a kind of just a normal kid, but just dealt with these really shitty situations, and they have him trying to fucking curse and stuff like that. Yeah, that felt kind of muted. Like any of the child actors, I had to swear, especially like the bully who you said, what was he, in Spike, Spy Kids? Yeah. Hearing him hearing him struggle through the lines of... Hey, ball liquor. Hearing him struggle through the lines of, you think she'd let me... Think for a quarter, she'd suck my dick and let me suck her tits. Like it sounded, it sounded like he was try, having trouble remembering the lines. Because it's a horrible written line of dialogue. Yes. So yeah. So, I mean... I bet you that's the only usable take of that line. Unfortunately. <laughs> but I felt like the kid, young Michael, didn't start to shine until he was in the sanitarium. Mm-hmm. I mean, as the killer, like, he's a little too aggressive screaming with the mask on, which is not really a Michael Myers trope. No. Um, I loved how the I loved how the emphasis on the original mask, on, on the, 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 the iconic Michael Myers mask, how he used he wore it to kill his sister. It was originally... Her boyfriend, as she was making love up in their room, yeah. like the original had, her boyfriend pulled out the mask and wanted to do with the mask on. You know, it was just a throwaway thing. Like, he's got, the, like, oh, my God, it's the iconic Michael Myers mask. Right. And Michael sees it on the floor. He identifies with it, puts it on because it's blank like him. Mm-hmm. You know, when he puts on a mask, he's not himself. He is just this shape. Right. And that's what this mask conveys. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, him I liked. Honest to God, one of the best parts of this movie I felt was the child actors. 
actors who played Tommy and Lindsay. Yeah. They felt like just, you know. They typical, felt like real kids. They felt like real kids. They felt like very typical, like, likable kids. I mean, the, the. That bus chops. Yeah. The, like, there was Tommy who's, you know, into, like, all the science fiction, weird urban legend stuff mm-hmm. about the Wolfman and whatever. Can get a little annoying, but it's it's cute. Yeah. Uh, the character Lindsay, she's a bit of a snot like kids can be, but, you know, she's a good kid and whatever. Yeah. But, and they they felt very natural, which is what I liked. And, and before I talk about Dago, I'll, I'll talk briefly about Tommy and Lindsay's uh, performance. I love that moment where like uh, Lori's like, "Can you leave me alone for just five seconds?" And they're like, and they "Start right, counting back." Five, yeah, yes. five, that's that's a kid thing to do. And I'm like, "All right, that that's pitch perfect right well, there." We'll continue on as we uh, with that as we get into it. Um, yeah, Malcolm McDowell. I felt like such a missed opportunity with him. Everything that we wanted to see about Loomis, I felt like he would have nailed perfectly, especially if the dialogue was written better. Yeah. I love Loomis. Loomis, this time, it was different. Like, yes, he wanted to stop Michael. Yes, he wanted to contain him. Yes, he wanted this evil to not affect this horrible town. But there was a real feeling of burden on him that I feel like there wasn't in Donald Pleasance, just based on the writing. Yeah, like he definitely, definitely seemed like, like, of course, like, Pleasance was determined... McDowell was guiltful. Yeah, he was. It, he was determined yet burdened. Yeah, and it conveyed. And like, he felt like it was his personal responsibility for it. Like that's why he was. He went to such lengths to do to get anybody to help him. That's why he made sure to buy a gun and everything like that. And in the treatment, they say that he bribed the store owner to get the gun early and stuff it's, like that. Well, especially in in one of the closing shots after he shoots Michael in the pool in the work print when he gets to the cop car, he's about to get in. You just see this. This look of just like sigh and sadness, like relief that it's done, but like at what cost? Well, yes, point? Like, it, like he feels sad that like it came to this, and he gets to the car. He says it's over, it's finally over, and I think that was cut out. Yeah, that was oh, that was great, and that would have worked too because like that would build up more tension for that scene before Michael reemerges and scares the shit out of both of them. Uh, like I said, Dayfer, like performance, like like. Child actors are hit or miss. He he did best with what he had, and like, the, like, I think my favorite moment is when he kills the nurse and he's just standing there not doing anything. Like just like, yes, that, that's, that's a that's a moment right there. Where he like he's not screaming, he's not mugging for the camera, and he's not being like desperately like oh, I'm just a normal kid and everything like that. It's just that moment with his hair and everything like that. And then when they take off his mask and how he freaks about when they take off his they, mask, they broke his reality yeah. of being in the mask. And how that's and I think that that also is um, built up that that's more effective is because they drown they take out all the natural sound it's just the alarm the asylum going off that's an artistic flourish that works for that movie like some of the artistic flourishes that he does in the movie does not work for me like the everything shot with long lenses all the everything in close up and everything is very shaky cam and everything like that that's a bit um, grating but that's a moment where. A choice was made, and it worked for that moment. Well, with that scene, I liked in the, I liked it better in the theatrical version because in the work print and director's cut, she insults him, and then he does it. In the theatrical, she doesn't insult him. They cut. They sort of trimmed it a bit, where she looks at the picture of him and his sister, of Lori. She says, "Cute baby," and then theatrical and in the director's cut and work print, she says, "Couldn't be related to you." But in theatrical, they leave that out. Yeah. So it just shows that like Michael is now he he it doesn't matter who you are to him. And that comes into play later when we make the 15-year the jump. Total is 17 years. Like, the, the asylum scenes we see can be sort of combined in, like, a two-year span. Yeah. Um, there's an overall 17-year jump. He's now an adult. He's still making these masks. Mm. Uh, Loomis, 
Loomis is actually retiring from his case because no progress has been made. He thinks Michael's just going to stay there for the rest of his life. This is where Tyler Maine takes over. Yeah. Um, Danny Trejo's character is now an old man, ready to retire. That's when drunk dickbag rednecks come in. Yeah. And in the, you know, the theatrical cut, when they're doing the whole transfer scene, which doesn't make sense, unfortunately, and it totally could if they'd filmed the fucking, uh, that one part of the, uh, shooting script mm. about, you know, sending him to a minimum security facility. Now, I'm just imagining like, Tyler Maine in a, in a toll booth now all of a sudden. Now, like, he's trying to get him inside his toll booth. He's wearing a paper mache mask <laughs> and handing people change. We'll put him in the easy pass lane. He doesn't have to talk to anyone. <laughs> they're, they're like, it's that one person who has the fucked up easy pass who didn't pay or something like that. He has to lean now just like... And you, just, you see them drive away at the highest, highway at 70, 70 miles an hour, and still he catches up to them while walking at a brisk pace, <laughs> and then kills them for not paying their toll, instead of just sending them the bill later. That happened That happened to me when I was going out to visit friends in Pennsylvania. They just sent me the bill for the PA Turnpike toll. Oh, Jesus. Six dollars. Like, wow, thank you. Really? Yeah. Even though I fucking paid. I paid. I paid it every fucking toll. With whatever. This has nothing to do with Halloween. Right. But anyway... Um, as we touched on earlier, depending on what cut version of the movie you saw, you either saw him break out of jail, break out while being transferred, or redneck, redneck rape rampage, which I wish to God that could be exercised from film permanently. And unfortunately, as the most widely available cut of the film is the director's cut. Yeah. You can get the theatrical cut as part of a double pack in uh, Canada with H2, the theatrical cut, which is also more superior. Or if you can just rent it from YouTube. Yeah, rent it from YouTube for three ninety nine. Or actually, I think you could buy it. It'll yeah, be tied to your account permanently. And uh, like twelve bucks. You're feeling Tyler Maine's performance overall. Tyler Maine, to tell you the God's honest truth, is my second favorite Michael Myers. I can see that. I really like Tyler Maine's performance. I really like everything he conveyed, mm-hmm. even before he was full on, you know, Michael Myers. Like when he's sitting there handcuffed to the chairs. Loomis is talking to him, he has the mask on, and you just see the perfectly blank look on his face through the mask, through and his think, paper mache mask. And I think it's because, like, Tyler Maine's an actor, not just a stunt guy. Yes. And, and like, that's, you could fault that for some of the, like, the later slasher movies. Like, you look at the later Friday the 13th, or even the later Halloween movies, it's stunt guys in there, and they're just, like, very, very, very robo- robotronic, just walking across. Well, that's one of the things that affected martial arts films for so long. Yeah. They decided, oh, we, we should make the stuntmen the lead actor. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like then you think of something like The Matrix, where there's a nice, perfect blend of like an actual actor who is willing to do re- like extreme things. Anyway, I love Tyler Maine. I love his pace. I love his flow as Michael Myers when he walks. As as we will also, as we have talked about, and we will continue to as we go on. And one of my favorite moments is when he um, receive, re- retrieves the mask at the Myers house. Yes, and ripping up the boards, and then how he kind of doesn't fetishizes, but he realizes it's a special moment when he. Takes the picks up the mask that he has not worn in fifteen years, seventeen t- seventeen years, and he takes a moment. He's like, okay. He looks at it. He feels complete. And then he puts it back on. And he's like, okay, fine. I'm back to where I need to be. This is where I've I've needed to be at this point. And the original butcher knife. And I love the look of Michael Myers in this. They changed him up just enough. Right. They gave him instead of you know the, the famous navy blue coveralls, they use like olive green. The mask was all dilapidated from living in a basement. The coveralls were dirty and nasty. His hands were all covered in blood. He he looked scarier in this more unkempt... Like, the hair was more unkempt. Yeah. He looks scarier by being fucking just nastier looking. Right. And it fits the the tone of that movie. 
Like, if you looked like that in the original Halloween, I don't think that would have worked. See, I don't know. I kind of think it would have. Just because there's something about, like, when someone's out to kill you, you... A lot of people you that that are like killers or whatever, you look at them and like you say something's fucked up about that guy. Like even the people you see in your daily life, like when you're walking through the streets and you see some like crazy homeless person, how dirty they are, they kind of give you the willies, you know? Yeah, there's something about that. And I think oh, it was another thing that, that Tyler Mann brings to the performance is that he has such a physicality and he's able to do stunts, not just act. Yes, as well as him being so tall and just being so imposing, especially against. Um, uh, what was it uh, Scout Taylor Compton and what's his name who played Annie Brackett? Her name's Daniel Blaine. Harris. Daniel Harris. They were like they're like five four, five foot two, and then you go against this like who's six foot eight, really looks like a monster towering over them. Well, his 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 height. I mean, there's nothing he could do about his height. No, I mean that was one of the appeals of Michael Myers was he was just so from a build standpoint, unassuming. Yeah. But the fact that this is pure, is pure concentrated evil race dance. Yeah, you know, and and it works, except for one moment in the theatrical cut, is when the girls are walking home from school, and he's standing in the middle of the road. He's standing in the middle of the road, and like that guy's watching us. Where? What do you mean where? You mean fucking Sasquatch in the middle of the road staring at you? That we'll continue to get into when we also talk about things that didn't work. And it's just like ah, oh, but like the moments where like. Laurie's trying to escape from the basement of the Myers house, and he punches his way through the walls, and yes. eventually rips off the gate that's 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 keeping him from her. That works. Or then in the the, the director's cut when she's um, well, it's in the, it's in both the theatrical and director's cut. Like when she's in the ceiling, trying to escape from it, and I, I love that one low angle shot when he brings the two by four up. Like he's holding it in one hand, and he swings it up and catches it with his other hand, and then he tears the roof apart with the two by four. That works. That really, I think that really works for this movie, and it works for having Tyler Man in that role. And the thing is, he's not too stocky. That he's, I mean, he's kind of, I would say, svelte. He's not like jacked up. He's he's not like Dave Batista or something like that, where he can't he's, wipe his own. He's not Ryback, where he can't wipe his own ass. He's got an intimidating enough figure. Yeah, I mean, you like, don't want to fuck with that guy. No, like he does not need to be like, like Kane Hodder is a very big guy. He's a very built guy. And that works for Jason. I don't think that would have worked for this Michael Myers. I don't think that would have worked for this movie. I think having that particular body type was very appropriate for this movie. Now, let's talk about the rest of the Myers family. Well, we're talking about Sherry Moon as, as the... You gotta have Sherry Moon in a Rob Zombie film. Because two checks coming into the household is better than one. Yep. Um, well, I didn't think there was anything wrong with her performance. I thought that there was everything wrong with the writing <laughs> and dialogue. Um... Yeah, that's about it for her. All right, and then you have yeah. So like, she does the best of what she has and stuff like that, and she's the not the greatest. She, yeah, she's not the greatest actress in the world, but she's serviceable, especially in that particular role where he has to have Michael Myers' mom be a stripper. Which okay, I understand like it's like like rednecky white trash to him, but like why cut to having her actually do a strip tease? Because it's Rob Zombie, and he likes to flaunt at what he has. And because it really adds nothing to me. Like, they built the set and cast those people and, and, like, made that look like a 70s place for no other reason other than he wanted to. He likes everyone being jealous of him while he drinks his Kool-Aid. Well, he says, this is my pitcher of Kool-Aid, and I'm thirsty. Bitch. Is that why like, he has her naked knee, like, in almost every movie he does? Yes. Jeez. This is mine. Not Somebody's yours. not insecure whatsoever. Not at all. With those damn skate punks. <laughs> I'm surprised he had Michael Myers kill a couple of skate punks. Well, if he, if he had to make a third Halloween, he probably would have. Yes. 
Um, God bless. God bless. Contractually obligated for two films. Yes. And uh, what about? Uh, <laughs> I don't think he was, but whatever. Judith. Um, played by Hannah Hall of Forrest Gump. Yes, who played young Jenny in Forrest Gump. Um, again, good enough for what she was given. Which is not much. Which wasn't much. She wasn't in the movie very long. And, like, and there's one moment in, in the entire performance that, like, there's two moments. Like, one where she, she says, like, her, that her birth father's dead and she's t- confessing My to her. My daddy's in heaven. And, like, for some reason that moment works. And then there's the moment where Michael is, like, tickling her. And then she thinks it's her boyfriend, and she turns around and is like, Michael? And it's, it's, a, it's, it's that one moment like on her face, like, there's true acting happening right there. That works. Everything else was just like, stop jerking off in there, and stuff like that. You stroke your rat to death, and then, and, like, that's uh, unnecessary. Like, they're like, oh, the chicken abortions, and they're fucking gross. Well, like, thankfully, that was cut. Yeah, a lot, a lot, thankfully, with the theatrical cut was trimmed. There was a lot of trimming of unnecessary silliness and dialogue. Which we will also continue with. Yeah, and then, even though it's not really a stepfather, but a boyfriend of the family. Uh, William Forsyth. As uh, Ronnie. Delivering some of the greatest Shakespearean uh, lines with, with his dirty Shakespeare look. I'm all busted up, bitch. I can't walk. I don't know. Like He's going to end up cutting his dick and balls off and calling himself Michel. He was funny. I, I mean, I'd love to see that character in his own movie. Uh, well, yeah, just being... Like him and Archie Bunker at the bar or something like that, just like yelling at everybody coming in. Ronnie buys a bottle of Thunderbird, rated R, <laughs> for adult situations. <laughs> like, oh, uh, like, that, that, man, that bitch got a five dumper. What? Like, are you jealous of your daughter's uh, ass or something like that? Like, oh, or like, at the end, like, like, you're like, so you're a cat killer. That's some serious ass fucking. You isn't gonna be late. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Again, for that, what he was given, did did the best he could. Yeah, because William Forrest had a good enough actor. Like even he's given shit. Like we'll turn it somewhat decent performance because he, he has said that much natural ability as an actor that he can. He will turn chicken shit into at least moldy chicken salad. Yeah, and moldy week old chicken salad. Dude, I'm gonna be late. Still nothing you'd really want to eat, but regardless, that's some serious faggot shit. Like when he says that to Michael, making fun of him that he he's killed uh, cats and stuff like that. And then, like, he gets taken out like a goddamn pussy because he's he's wrapped up in duct tape. Because which is the only probably probable way that Michael could have killed him in that state. Well, no, but, he was passed out. He just slit his throat. You didn't need to wrap him up. Uh, I mean, like, in like in the treatment, like he's just like he carves at his throat. He doesn't, he doesn't have like the one slash. Yeah, yeah. he just car- carves it like a pumpkin. I mean, like, go figure. In, in Halloween too, like in the second Rob Zombie Halloween, like he oh, yeah, carves the guy's head off with a piece of glass. And that actor is actually in. Um, 31, and he's like, he has the best performance in that movie because he plays a, he plays a psychopath. Go figure. Yeah. I, you start to notice a trend in his movies. Mm-hmm. The same people and craziness and, yeah, the same. <laughs> All right, let's go from one family to the other. Let's talk about Laurie's family where we see, like, her step-parents. Well, yes, and, and as we're continuing along with our analysis, now we get to the, really the remake part. The, the full-on yeah. remake of the Carpenter part. I like the latter half of all the remake stuff. A, un, unnameable percentage more than the new stuff, right? I, because it, because it reminds like you, Halloween. yeah, it feels like it reminds it, you of the original Halloween. The, the new coats of paint they put on it do feel fresh in many ways, especially in the theatrical cut. Um, Scout Taylor Compton, I am absolutely in love with. Yes, I have a huge crush on her. Uh, now that I'm on the internet, call, call me, call me, uh, baby. Yes. what's up? 
No, like I enjoyed her Lori very much. She was I, I, that's one of the things I really feel like I agreed one hundred percent with Rob Zombie on is the updating to the character of Lori Strode, bringing right. her into because the, the one to quote Rob Zombie, if you had the same Lori Strode from nineteen seventy eight, now she'd feel Amish. Yes, which there I think a, is very appropriate. There was a bit of an edge to this girl, yeah, to this Lori, and I, that was foreshown in her in the breakfast scene with her parents, where we first see her and she's finger fucking a bagel. Like, which I could see her doing that amongst her friends, It's not her parents. Well, thankfully they trimmed that. Yeah. In the theatrical cut, the, the actual, because they're talking about how Nichols Hardware is going out of business. And yet where, again, it's where they get the, that's where the, if you know your history, that's where the original mask came from. And yet again, Rob Zombie has to put personal politics into his dialogue in a painful way. Or just, oh, the corporate faceless marauders getting rid of Nichols Hardware. As he works for a corporate uh, faceless as he were, yes, as, uh, company called Lionsgate that put out the movie. And, uh, was it, Geffen Records? Yes. Which, uh, is Geffen even still around? Probably, I don't know. I mean, whatever. But regardless, like, Lori, there's a little more sexualization. Like, you can tell she's, she's still spunk. kind of... She's spunk. She's spunk. There's an edge. The Lori in this movie, I would have dated if I knew her in high school. Yes. That's one of the things that really stuck with me. Her performance, her... And in vulnerability, she's not just, like, a yes. snotty kid the entire time. Her... Her uh, interactions with the child actors, like we say, felt very real. Yeah. With their parents, aside from some shitty dialogue choices, felt very real. These are the things that have stuck with me through the movie because it's the stuff I can understand, relate to, and actually feel something for. Yeah. God forbid in one of these fucking Hollywood remakes. It's funny because, like, how she, like, when she's leaving the house and, like, her father tells her to go to the Myers house and drop off the paperwork for the people who are coming to look at the property, and she's, like, he's trying to... Uh, Reiterate how important it is to drop an issue. Like, like I, I know, got Dad. Moy importante, and how she pronounces it is how I pronounce moy importante from now on. So, like, that's one thing that stuck up with stuck with me. From but she's like a teenager who's just like, yeah, I get it, Dad. Like, I know, she, I yeah, know. yeah, yes, I'm the death. And like, and and if all of her bullshit, all of her yeah, yeah stuff, like, what'd she do? She picks up the phone and calls from the house. Thank you, Henry. Sorry, I had to quote Goodfellas there um, before Lori taped the cocaine to her leg. <laughs> And then she had to go home to get her fucking hat. I had to take her to get a fucking hat. Yeah, like, I she wasn't there flying unless she got a fucking Michael Myers mask. Uh, what the fuck was I supposed to do? I, I love that look. Like, like, what was that taking you all the way to... F- That's what I mean now. I tripped a fucking walkway. Rockway, you get your fucking hat? <laughs> yeah, right? I got the window open right now. with <laughs> my neighbor's house. Next oh, door. Fu- I'm sorry, people. <laughs> um... But yeah, but then she runs into Tommy, and we see it's not the whole sweet babysitter like it was. She's kind of annoyed by Tommy's presence a little bit because he is a bit. But of she a, tolerates him. And then, annoyingly tolerating of children, which yeah, but, but she thinks still gets in like she does have a paternal uh, watching over for him. Maternal. Maternal. Oh, yeah, sorry. Like well, she's no, really no, a guy. Well, no, like well, I, I'd say paternal as a, as a parental thing rather yes. than I wouldn't say like a. Like fatherly. You, yeah, but as a fatherly thing. But yeah, the fir- her first line, instead of in the 1978 Halloween, hi, Lori, hi, Tommy. In this one, it's, Lori, uh, leave me alone, Tommy. But you see, like, when they talk to each other, it's very natural. Like, I think you're crazy. You're crazy. You know, just... Oh, yeah, she's, and like, they, bust, they both get in each other's nerves in a very lovable way. Yes. So and, th- that's and what those, I that works. To. That's what I liked. That worked. Um... She gets up to the Myers house to deliver it while he's in mid, you know, transformation into full Michael Myers. And they, I guess they kind of nod back to the scene of her putting, putting, you know, the key under the mat. And then he pops out and sees her through the door, except we see all of him. Yeah. Which is one of my major fucking complaints. And then he sniffs the... Uh... In, in one of the other cuts, he actually sniffs the package. Like, he's going to... Rem- like, I, I've smelled a lot of women in my lifetime. Not as a pervert, but just you walk past them and it's and just like, the, oh, they're wearing the, something lovely today. Yeah. 
a baby that smells like fucking shit and drool does not smell like a beautiful teenage girl who would smell like perfume. Yeah. I mean, like, a lovely even, body wash. And, like, like, you could have, like, gotten okay if, like, he looked it up and you cut to a POV of, like, her dress. But, like, it, it, and that would have worked. That shot would have worked. But he actually, like, brings up close to the mask and you hear, like, a <laughs> sound. You're like, um, okay. Yeah. And it just makes, it's more, it's another character, it's another choice that was made for this movie to make it different from the original that did not work and backfired. Yes. But well, the, the biggest underlying problem we've touched on is just the constant overseeing presence of Michael Myers. There were always in Carpenter's the so specific moments where you see Michael staring at Laurie to remind you that he's there. But you know he's – to remind you that he is there, and in between those, you know he's there, but you don't know where. You don't know where he's going to strike. They actually did recreate quite a few of those, and that's what I absolutely love. Like the first one when she's looking out the library window, and there he is, standing yeah. in front of the original Strode house. Yes. From, they also shot in South Pass, which I am grateful eternally for. Yes. The same neighborhoods. Some of the same blocks, too, actually. Uh, Lori walks home down the same road that, that Jamie Lee Curtis did in 78. It, it's, it's, it's great. It's a level of authenticity that was really worth probably the cost rather than going out of town yeah, and go shooting in Canada or something like that. Yeah. Even though I do like where they shot in Georgia in H2. Yes. Because I think that, that it was more appropriate for that movie for some reason. Yes, because you got away from... Everything. Yeah. And it, it you got kind away of, from those locations. It got away from those locations and kind of made the town seem bigger and seemed like the area it made the movie feel ironically bigger, even though it was shot on sixteen millimeter film but not thirty five like the this one yeah, was. This one and this was shot in widescreen and that one was shot in one eight five, like the taller frame and stuff like that. But we'll get into the technical stuff of that in the next movie. But let's talk about Laurie's friends. Uh, with the with Andy uh, Braggart played by by Daniel Harris, by returning Daniel Harris. as returning formerly as Jamie Lloyd, yes, all grown up now thirty at the time of this movie, it, almost thirty and playing a fucking seventeen uh, year old. Yes, like she pulled it off because she does not age. No, even to this day, but now so, she's covered in tattoos, which are awesome. Yes, and uh, Christina Klebe is Linda. Yes, um, I don't know who wrote the female dialogue. I don't know if it was Sherry or if it was Romby. Uh, if it was Ro- <laughs> Romney, yes, yes, I'm Mitt, getting Mitt, fucking Mitt, great. Mitt Romney. Uh, if, if it was Mitt Romney, he, outs- or, or he, outsourced, he outsourced the dialogue to China <laughs> and said he was going to bring it back to America. Yes, but you were saying, um, I don't know who wrote them, but just like whoever wrote them, just oh my god, his portrayal of women fucking sucks. It's all about like I get it; these are young girls. That all have their boyfriends. When you're a teenager, your fucking hormones are running wild. You want to get laid or whatever. The girls talk about their boyfriends or whatever. But they all just... It's all just so... Every aspect of their dialogue is permeating with sex as if to say, Oh, they're girls. They just want to get fucked. No, I Linda, know... Linda's whole cheerleading thing about why she got in trouble at cheerleading would say, Oh, lady fuckface, you know. I told her we should just snatch, flash our snatch, you know. Go run... Oh, and your daddy's raptor. You got your daddy raptor on your finger. Oh, yeah, I'll give him the little princess routine. And then any minutes later, as they're walking home, yelling at Michael Myers, "Hey, my daddy's the sheriff!" Like they're just these like just catty, like, catty. All they care about is sex and and, now, and prissy. I, my daddy will do everything. Now the, like, the misconception, like I guess, like what a lot of people are saying, like, saying that women do not talk about sex. Women do talk about sex. Of course, sex. they do. Like everyone does. Yeah, everybody does. In the original Halloween, the three of them talked about it. Yeah, and, and but like. I have a lot of like close female friends. Like that's not the only thing they talk about, and it's not like the, even amongst them. Like that's that. It's something that like 
they'll feel comfortable with, but it's not the only thing they'll talk about. They'll talk about other shit and stuff like that. It's just, however, in this movie, like you well, said, even, even it's when, only what they're talking even about. Even when they're in conversations about their boyfriends and stuff or what's going on, is that all they're, is they talking about it in that level of detail? Like, I'm sure, I'm sure they do, as girls do among themselves. Yes. I mean, my ex, like, uh, confessed to me, like, like the kind of conversations that she, like, would have with her friends, stuff like that, about us and stuff like that. And, like, I didn't give a shit. So I was like, like, really? You bring that up? Like, yeah, they they, they thought that was hilarious. I'm like, all right, whatever. So I understand, like, if there's a certain comfortability, you'd be able to be very candid. Like, guys, it's a little different. Like, you could talk about certain things, but then even, like, even certain details, you kind of keep that to yourself. Yeah. Women can be very candid about that. Well, guys are candid, too. We'll talk about our girlfriends and yeah. stuff and all the things. Just usually as a way to fucking one-up each other. Of course. Um, but, I mean, with them, it's just, like, it's all, it's almost overdone. And, like, with Lori, like, oh, how they how they make Lori feel like she needs to get laid or whatever, and how Lori feels like she needs to get laid. Like, really? Again, like, the, the, look at Scream. That handled sex conversation amongst girls perfectly. Yeah. Where there was the pressure of a guy putting that on her, and but like then they, you had the kind of self confidence issues, and then the the way that uh, Nev Campbell's mother's died, mother died in that movie, like in a very sexual way, that just kind of hampered her want to do that. But then she has that other side of her, like, oh, I want to please my boyfriend, and I want to feel that kind of connection to him. So that was done. Where you see a good writer yeah. writes about. The, Teenagers. But then when they see Michael Myers and they look to Laurie, he says, oh, is that guy looking at me before? Oh, I think you should date him. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, pinch each other's asses. I mean, and then let me dry hump you in front of the two kids. Yes, dry on. hump you in front of kids as we're talking. Like, they were, and that, that I felt ruined that moment because it, it was a nice nod to the original series. They were talking about Laurie, you know, getting set up on a date with a guy she likes. But like, but even before like, that, oh, like, you need a boyfriend. Oh, dry hump on the wall. On the wall. When they start dry humping, it, like a, a discussion about Laurie asking about a guy she likes turns into Annie and Laurie dry humping in front of children. There's one moment, like that scene, like I, I have several problems with. One is because, like, they're saying, like, I'm talking about Ben Traver, and like Laurie's like, I thought Ben Traver was retarded. And, like, not short, but retarded. Yeah, but like, and I mean, they say, like, dude, she's hot. And there's that moment where it cuts back to Laurie reacting, like, Somebody saying a very positive thing about how she looks, and it is, she does smile and she does glow in that moment, like because a guy she likes said something nice about her, but like, or, or something that was pleasing about her too. And, and then she kind of like, takes, like really, like some guy said that about me, and then like you need a boyfriend. Then immediately like a, like a scissoring action, like almost happens right there in front of the kids. Like, no, Lord, you need a boyfriend, and it's like oh okay. And then Annie jumps out and gets into a car with her boyfriend that's blasting heaven and hell if you're watching one of the cuts. I think that was the work print. He the was work blasting print. heaven and hell. And then he's blasting somebody else when Yeah, he... Rob Zombie, even in his scripts, had just an overuse of licensed music. Which, like, if, like, I understand, like, Tarantino does that. Like, he knows, like, what songs he wants to put in there. So, like, he knows exactly what people can expect. Like, Reservoir Dogs, he specifically has Steeler's Wheel in there when he do the torture scene with Mr. Blonde and the cop. But that was integral to that movie. And it's terrible for that moment, but, like, I don't think we really need to specify, like, oh, we need to see, like, here, the Monster Mash or God of Thunder, depending on which cut of the movie you saw. I like the itchy and scratchy cartoon directed by Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> where they're playing stuck in the middle as he's throwing gasoline on Scratchy. Yeah. And they're both wearing suits. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, man, is that evil's everywhere in society, man. It's even like breakfast cereals. And they, so he chop, get, his head he, off. They chop his head off in there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, but it's just like, and even like, like Linda's wearing a Slayer t-shirt, young Michael's wearing a Kiss t-shirt. And then uh, Tom Sawyer by Rushes at one point. It feels like just Rob Zombie jacking himself all over the movie. Because he's in the music industry? 
not because not because he's in the movie industry. Just like everything about his movies feel like, like I know movies are supposed to be expressive. Yes, but like every movie is just like a constant expression of him and what goes on in his head to the point where it's annoyingly derivative. Where it's just like you know what you're gonna get. He's right. gonna put in his, his dialogue will be his personal politics. You know, about, yeah, I got you. I got you. I got it's you. all the music he likes and thinks should be in a movie. There's never like, you know what? Let me break away from this and actually like think outside myself, but use my cre- harness creativity. Like even like you think of like Martin Scorsese movies, where like he has like, is a plethora of neo drop music in there, like a lot of Rolling Stones in there. You well, have... I could see that in his, just because of like the fact that they were talking about a specific like period piece of. And it's a bookmark, and it's a bookmark of where you are in relation to, like, you think of Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump is bookmarked by the music because you never see uh, a number coming up saying what year it is. Like, Zemeckis uses music to bookmark where in Forrest's life it is and where in America it is, like, music-wise, to show you where you are in the 20th century. Yeah, but like for this, like, literally, it's just random. It's as if Rob Zombie built the soundtrack out of his own CD collection. Like the, and he just randomly picked whatever. Like, the one musical selection I, I appreciate in this movie is Nan Vernon's cover of Mr. Sandman. Yes. And, like, it's it's obviously... Influence. Desperately yep. yeah, ominous, but some reason it works. It's not, like, overly, like... like uh, well, it's also the nod to Halloween, too. Yes. And what... What did she do a cover of in the second one? Love Hurts. Love Hurts. Which was just shoehorned in the fucking this one. And I mean, like, you might as well have like, had the cover of Knights of White Satin at that point, because you had the original in the Halloween 2. I mean, like, well, here's how we do. I felt like, I felt like in an odd way in H2, Knights of White Satin fit, because it was something the guard was watching on TV. Yes. And, like, had that played into her nightmare and stuff like that. It had like, played into her nightmare, and if you listen to the lyrics, it's about, like, an unrequited love. This you could almost transfer it to his love for his sister being some like crazy, yeah. craziness manifesting. Um, so, well, right. as we continue, you know, the girls walk home, and as you said before, you see Michael in the middle of the road. Thankfully, that was changed to the theatrical, where it seems like he's off to the side. But the thing and, is, and he's just there. that one long lens. He's in the foreground, and there in the background, he's there. Like in the director's cut of her walk home, he's there. In scenes later, when um, Linda and Bob go to have sex at the Myers house because that's their thing. It pans up. He's there. He's always fucking there. Like, there's so many shots in the original Halloween where it's just the neighborhood by itself and he could... Could be there and they show you him every now and again just to let you know he's still there and they do it in a creepy way where it means something. Like him popping up behind the car when when Annie and Lindsay cross the street. The street. To the Doyle house. Her looking out a window seeing him, him behind the bush. Tommy looking out the window and seeing him. They don't give it away in every fucking frame of the movie where, no. like, you know, with this one, literally, he, he will be in the background out of focus. Like, yes. Like, you know, them walking, like, like Lindsay and Annie walking across the street, he'll be in the background. It's almost like, it, it reminds me of the, the Simpsons episode where Bart is reading Find Waldo yet again. Right. He opens the book, there's just Waldo, he's literally right there, right there, right there. He's just not trying anymore. <laughs> it's as if Rob Zombie missed the point of Michael Myers being this force that could be anywhere. Where you're In the original, you're watching like, oh my god, he could be anywhere, he could be anywhere. And then when he strikes, oh shit, there he is! Now it's like, oh my god, he could be anywhere, he could be Oh, there he is, I found him. Oh my god, he could be anywhere, he could be anywhere. Oh, there he is, I found him. And speaking of the fact that when the, uh, Bob and Linda go to the Myers house to have sex and stuff like that, 
in a director's cut. Oh. It cuts from daytime to nighttime with oh. a title card that says "Trick or Treat," which I don't understand. It transitions from it transitions from the graveyard scene, which thankfully for those cuts were redone. In the work print, it was Michael killing the gra- gravekeeper and taking the tombstone. Thankfully, that was redone to be more like the um, the original, where Loomis meets up with the gravekeeper, who's played by Sid Haig. Yeah, he uses his row of Christmas pudding line again. Mm-hmm. And, and Sid Haig, they and, find out that the grave is the grave has been stolen and vandalized. He left a dead coyote strapped to it, as we talked about. And Loomis says, "I think I know a grave that is," and that gives Loomis the nod that he's there. And but not and like Michael. with like twenty fucks dropped in that scene, of course, as well. Well, yeah, because it's a Rob Zombie film, but it doesn't show Michael. But it shows you he's there. I know he's there. We've you know it shows Loomis from Loomis's perspective. Shit, he's here. <laughs> it's it, it works just like how it did in the original when yes. they just go to the grave and extreme. Yeah, but, and but the works. grave's gone. And then in the in the theatrical cut, it does a fade into you know Linda and Bob backing up into the driveway of the Myers house. Perfect transition. In the director's cut, there is a hard cut along with sound effect of a black background and white text that says "trick or treat," and then a hard cut of Michael's a close up of Michael's face of him staring into fucking space. He's <laughs> like, it's such a close up, and it's like there's no um, everything's out of focus behind him, so you don't know where in the context he is. You have no geography of where he is in relation to everybody else. It just cuts to a close up of him standing, and then hard cut to Linda and Bob backing in. Yeah, so it's like you already know he's here. There's no present. There's no build-up. There's no presence. There's nothing even like, like as the scene played in the theatrical, when they cut to them backing up. And as they go in the house, the camera pans up, and there he is standing on the balcony. And you go, oh, shit, he's there. I mean, on one hand, you could be like, all right, he's going to strike. I know he's there. How are they going to do this? Yeah. On the other hand, you're like, I know he's there. There's no surprise. Right. But at least, like, there wasn't the, the absolute asininity. Asininity. Is that, is that a word? Asinine? Uh, it's asinine, but I don't know if it's a pluralizing. The asininity of a hard cut to a text that says trick or treat, then a hard cut to him staring into fucking space, then a hard cut to them backing in and then playing out as normal. Do you ever watch the outtakes of them, like, the band, like, breaking down in the driveway? No. It's I like- wish the film broke in the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the headlights wouldn't work and they wouldn't back up. And then one of the headlights falls out of the van at one point. Oh. I mean, that's just an omen right there. Like, maybe, like, do that. Okay. And we see the scene where, like, Linda and Bob have sex. Uh, Bob prematurely climaxes and everything like that. And she berates him for it. In the director's cut, we see full frontal of Linda. Of Linda. We see it. We see everything. We see it all south of the Mason-Dixon line. It, all right. Do you think that was necessary? Um, well, it wasn't gratuitous. It was kind of just there. Yeah. You know, it's... I didn't think it was the worst, but I can understand trimming that just for... for uh, I bet you do. This is... Wise ass. <laughs> I could see moving around that Yeah. for classy sake. You know, you don't need... just Like, yes, I know it's Rob Zombie. <laughs> I was going to say, because I just gave... Like, because you used the word classy, a description of a Rob Zombie product, and I just gave... And I just gave him such a look, like, such a look, like, are you fucking serious? I see it along the lines as the trimming of Lori actually fingering the bagel, yet still being just sexual with it right before. Yes. It's... It's... It's pull. It's restraint. I see it as a moment of rest, of welcome restraint. Yes. Not that I'm against seeing Christina Klee be full frontal nudity because she is a very beautiful woman. Yes. But I see it for from a cinematic point of view as a moment of restraint that was welcome. Yes. Um, another scene that when we're talking about different cuts is when Michael visits um, the Strode residence, where in the work print we see him walk up. See him walk up. Shoop, slash, you know, Lori's father, because as the scene played out, Lori was sitting there with her mother, trick-or-treating, talking about when she was little and whatever, you know, more relatable stuff, and the father sits down. 
has a cigarette. Mother goes inside. Lori goes off with Annie. He's by himself in the work print. Michael walks up. He th- he's like, oh, he scared me. I thought, oh, you want some candy? And then he slashes him. In this, he's just standing there smoking his cigarette. And bam! Up on, and then bam, jump, jump hit of Michael walking up. And like that, that, like, that, like, that's a legitimate jump. Michael's hit. And then brings him, brings the uh, Mason inside, drops the body, and confronts Dee Wallace. Lori's mother. Lori's mother. And Played by Dee Wallace. Attacks her. And in which cut were we doing? Doesn't it just, just cut away? Was it the theatrical cut where it just cuts away? It doesn't fully. Or is it I know cut? that because the director's cut, he actually pulls a picture of Lori in front of her and like wants to know where she is. He's like, no, no, no. She actually like dies before telling him yeah. where you're going to be. But I would have liked it better because there's a scene when he has her cornered. And she screams, and it like cuts away to the outside. But then it cuts to back in her injured. Yeah, that would have been better if you just cut away and not let us know what truly happened yeah, until you we just, find out later. Because he's killed so many people at this point in gratuitous ways that you've like been like, "Oh my god, what the hell happened?" What's he like, going to do to her? It leaves your imagination to fill, fill in those gaps. Yeah, like and, the original and, Halloween did. Like you think of, all right, for example, Alien, where. They're, they've agreed to escape the, the ship and everything, and they had to get all the air canisters and stuff like that, and the alien attacks Yafet Kodo, and... Um, does the crab walk. Does, oh, <laughs> God. Like, we do not... We see him, like, attack Yafet Kodo and stuff like that, and then you see when... Uh, I forget what's her name plays um, the other actress in the movie. Like, you see the tail going between her legs, and it cuts away to just hear her screaming. And the horrors of her gasping and... <laughs> and then... And then scream nothing, and then we yes. cut back to it. We cut to a close up of like her in the foreground, like blood trickling down into the into the shot, and you see Yafako dead in the background. And you're like, what the hell happened? Something yes. like that. There's so much, like, because there's so much like sexual imagery that happened. Like you probably presume that she was probably violated by the alien and stuff like that, but like you do not know for certain. You don't know exactly what happened. That leads you. To, you don't need to show everything. Yes, I mean. Like, like, you think of, like, The Thing, that shows a lot, but it, it wows you because it's something you've never really seen before. Like, if somebody getting slashed, you've seen a million times yes, before. Yes, a simple kill like that or a gruesome kill like that, but I mean, like, a, a gruesome kill that could normally happen, that yeah. a human could do, but not like an alien creature, you know, splitting into a million pieces violently, graphically. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, using defibrillator to, to, to do chest compressions, and all of a sudden the chest opens up and eats the hands of the person operating the defibrillator. Does not happen every day. Point is, I, I just wish we would have. They would have trimmed that at that point. Yes. And um, then, as the movie continues, you know they're babysitting. It still continues very remake like, where Michael's stalking them in every shot. In every shot, and you see him <laughs> in the background watching blurred. the thing of the other uh, world with with Lindsay like unbeknownst to him, knowing that there's a goddamn giant behind her. We see the interaction between Laurie and Tommy talking about the boogeyman, the obsession with the boogeyman. Very natural. Welcome. I liked it. Lindsay gets dropped off. Annie and Paul start doing their thing. It has a very uh, Buffalo Bill moment. Would you fuck me? Would you fuck me? Would you fuck me? But Michael attacks, you know, kills Annie's boyfriend. And there's a pretty uh, rough scene of him just, like, you know, really being violent with Annie when he kills her. Like, she's yeah. topless. Uh, her performance she, 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 was awesome. Yeah, and, like, killed. and I think having her topless, like, of course you feel incredibly vulnerable, vulnerable at that point. And there's a moment when, like, she he backhands her and she falls on the ground. He grabs her by the ankle and he drags her drags away. Drags her off. And I mentioned this when we were watching it um, in the outtakes. Like, her boot kept slipping off. And, like, they were trying, like, to firmly grasp it and, like, not, like, have her, like, do taste. Like, all right, we're going to drag you for a few feet. Boop. And then, like, oh, damn it, we got to do this again. And there's one point, like, where he's trying to hold on to it and it stops. And you hear the audio, like, Tyomaine in the mask, like, 
all right, how are we going to do this now? And it's just like a very humorous moment in that in that scene. Like, uh, it must have been fun making that. But then there's that one shot of like it cuts to the porch when Annie tries to run out and she's screaming. He just pulls her back, in. back inside. He slams it's, the door. Which I'm pretty sure that's the house exterior to George McFly's house in Back to the Future. Could be. I mean, because they both shot in Pasadena, so it probably was. Then uh, Lori brings Lindsay home. Yep, Lori brings Lindsay home, and that's where we have the moment where Michael strikes the climax of the film. I liked how Michael set it up. He's hiding behind the door. We don't know that just yet. He took Paul, uh, Annie's boyfriend Paul, his body hung him by the neck from the fucking staircase and put a pumpkin over his head. Because that's, cause that's what Michael Myers would do. He that's would play a, a prank. setup. Like, that That was cool. Different, but it's Michael Myers. Yes. And Andy's bloody, beaten, bruised, half-naked body is laying there. Laurie's shocked as hell. She sends Lindsay back. Lindsay, the, the actress who plays Lindsay screams with one of the most insane scream I've ever heard. Like a Digitech last time I heard, it, Last time I heard a fucking chipmunk get run over. And presumably that's when Lindsay calls the police. When she, That's why the cops show up at that house. Well, yes, they show up a little later. We're getting a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. But then, you know, Lori, go- Lori goes to call the cops. That's when Michael makes it apparent that he's there. We have this nice wide shot of the front of the house when Lori runs out, and then the door start- slowly starts closing, and Michael's behind it. Yeah. Similar, in a manner of speaking, to the, the reveal in the original where they use the whole dimmer switch trick to show his mask in the background. Yep. Different, but I felt it still had the same effect. Not everyone may agree. No, I think it's really effective because you don't know where he is, and all of a sudden he slowly reveals He could be himself. in the room to the left, he could he be, be up the stairs, yep. but he's behind the door. And the, the funniest part is that the door, behind the door is the most obvious spot, yet it still gets you. Yeah. So I liked how that was set up. Uh, Lori calls the cops. Michael interrupts, you know, Bracket, Bracket intercepts the, the call. Oh, yes. Also, at this point, Loomis and Bracket have finally met up. There were many different ways this was filmed. I'm, I'm happy with the way they went. Um... Where Brackett's pissed at uh, uh, at Lewis saying that he has used the blood money to make himself a kind of like a minor celebrity with doing a lecture circuit at this point and has a yes. book deal with it as well. And they go back to his office and he explains the whole thing and talks about how he's come back for her, his baby. And, and uh, Brackett says, who? His baby sister, who by this point we've pretty much forgotten about. Yes. Aside from uh, Deborah Meyer's suicide scene. <sighs> okay. Hold on. I'm... Because I had I had this I had this internal argument about this today when I was mowing the lawn. Deborah killing herself is probably one of the most selfish things that she does in this entire fucking movie. Okay, I understand your son's crazy, your daughter's dead, and you're kind of labeled as Satan's mother in this town. You could have moved. You have another daughter. You have another person to be responsible for, and she chose the most chicken shit way of going out. As a person who has attempted suicide, it is the most fucked up thing to do. And like, is like have another daughter. Like, you have a chance to have still have a relatively normal family. You have a chance to right the wrongs that you've kind of failed with your son. Now, let me be the counterpoint to that. Yes, of course. As a person who whose father has committed suicide, yes, yes I'm sad to say, I don't want to get this out here. Yeah, yeah, but we're being very when open right now. something like that has really, like, traumatized your life, you are not thinking straight at all. No, all of course not. All the things not. you're saying about what you could do, there is none of that, because everything you had is lost. You feel like you have nothing left. Right. Even though you have this child, even though you have this family, you still feel like they'll be better off without me. Right. There's this element of blame as a parent you place over yourself. Yes. I can understand that from my father's perspective because I've also – part of what drove him to that was the 
passing of my younger half sister mm-hmm. who died of cancer, the same type of cancer that well actually no it wasn't the same was it I don't think it was the same type but it was still cancer that took my grandmother when my father was only ten, and that one of the things he always used to say was he had cursed genes he had cursed genes. I talked to him like, Dad, you don't have cursed genes. If you got cursed genes, and I got even more cursed genes because I got cancer on both sides of my family. Mm. Like, all of my great uncles died of cancer in their 40s. So, but when it comes to that, you're not thinking straight. When you, when everything you loved has been taken from you, you're not thinking rationally. You're right. not thinking, I could start over. You're not thinking this. You're just thinking, I can't stand this. I need a way out. And you make a rash decision at a bad time. Yes, and uh, it's not an indictment on the, the idea of the suicide itself. It's just within the context of this movie. Within the context I, of this movie, I fully understand it. <sighs> fully understand it. I understand I, why I, 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 zoomed, I just did not agree it. with it. And like... <laughs> I don't agree with it because, I mean, it's a bad thing in general, but I fully understand it. Yeah, it's it just... Obviously, you wouldn't you like wouldn't have Lori with the with her family and stuff like that if that wise. But like it was just it's something that's really irked me. And I'm saying like I know people have like gone through situations like that, like yourself like personally. And I'm not saying like you're I'm not saying people who've done that or attempted that or weak or anything like that. It's just within the context of this movie and like the opportunity she had to make her life better with her she other daughter. Of them. She was of course not, and and that's the only problem with that. Like that's the only problem I have with that. But anyway. Back to the present of the like with of the... of, of uh, Loomis, you know, saying he's come for his baby sister, who we forgot about at this point. Brackett then reveals he was the one that answered the nine one one call to Deborah Meyer's suicide. Yes, and he understood that this kid will have all this shit to go with with her life. So he dropped her off at a hospital, omitted her from the suicide report, and she was adopted by the Strode family. Yes, and he found this out. This is the secret he kept all these years. Mm-hmm. Part of you know Haddonfield's dirty little secret of the Myers family. Something think, that adds to the legend, do you which think I he, felt was lost at this point. Do you think he kept a watchful eye on Lori while she grew up? Oh, definitely, because she was best friends with his daughter. Now, do you think she became best friends with her daughter naturally, or do you think it's because his family, like, he had interactions with his family with that, like, like, oh, like, we ran into each other in the store, or they were on the same soccer team, or what have you? Could be a little of both. Okay. Because, you know, in a small town, the, the parents know each other, they get their kids to socialize and hang out at yeah. young ages. I think it's a little of both. And so they are now en route to, en route. to the Doyle house to... They get the uh, 911 call packed yep. through. With Rob Zombie's cameo as the dispatcher. <laughs> so Lori is then attacked by Michael after getting off the phone and, you know, breaks through the back door. Somehow injures her leg. We don't actually see this. Yeah, she just but, all of a sudden has a limp. But then there's the iconic, the iconic chase of pursuit from the original. Yeah. Lori goes back to the Doyle house, limping, injured. Um... Back to the score, the work print, I feel for how the changes that they made of Michael now being right behind her, tailing her, the music score that they used in the work print, I felt was a million times better than the classic dun Like that was building towards something. Yeah. This was, it's in your face right now. And wasn't it just like the the dissonant like sounds? Of, like, it, it, was, it was scary violin music. Right. And it worked so well. It, it communicated immediate tension, not something is coming. Something yeah, is no, here. Yeah, like, because you were not in suspense. Like, you you had suspense, but like, like, dun, dun, dun. Because there was space in there. There was time to allow, like, then to get closer and closer. Like, he's right on your ass. Like, he's like, on your like, ass. So, like... Having that, like, intense music was perfect for that moment. Yep. And somehow she, well, she managed to get a little further ahead of him. Tommy let her in. Her uh, banging on the door was a little more panicked than, than Jamie Lee Curtis's, but fully, fully yes. understood. <laughs> 
They let her in, and unfortunately, like that scene I talked about that was in the teaser trailer and how well lit and well shot it was, they completely changed it around. So I was sad to see that gone, but they managed to get upstairs and hide. Um, By that point, two officers officers had responded. Um, Michael, I guess, noticed this because we didn't see him notice this, but he hid. The officers thought everything was okay, went to the bathroom where they were hiding, asked to be let in, and that's when Michael struck. Yeah. Killed one of the officers. Another officer shot him, and he just shrugged it off. This is the first time we've seen Michael get injured, and it truly shows how immersed in the shape he is, where he doesn't even feel pain anymore. He like, like, like he, like, like he feels like, like it's like a momentary like just flinch, like, like, oh, and he, he, he's like, like fine fucker, and he charges and he kills the other cop. Goes back, bashes in through the glass door of the bathroom, grabs Lori, picks up Lori like a like a mother picking up her screaming child in the toy store, and she probably passes out from like exhaustion or shock. In the at that script, point. he actually knocked her out. Oh, really? In the shooting script and treatment, he knocked her out. He gave her a cold cocktail. Which makes sense. Rather than have her just walk out and she's like just... He's just carrying her limp body down the street and yeah. no one's paying which, attention on her. Which is, is a creepy image. Yeah. And, like, that's one of the moments where it like, works, where there's him walking down the street like And they that. had part of Carpenter's classic score in the background, the very dissonant... I can't do it with my voice. I mean, if I had a piano here, I'd do it. But right. It was part of Carpenter's score, which worked greatly. That's when... Um, Loomis and Brackett arrived. That's when Loomis and Brackett arrived at the Wallace house. Yeah. Brackett found Annie Annie clinging to life at that point. That's when Tommy and Lindsay came running out. Loomis found them. He said, he took Laurie. He took Laurie. They they went that way. Okay, stay there. Loomis ran off into the night. It has been argued. How did Loomis know where to go from here? It's like, well, I'm sure Loomis has been to the Myers house, did enough time in the town on his research, knew where to go. Of course. Regardless, it then cuts to Lori, who's now in the basement of the Myers house. There's the tombstone he took. Yeah. And there's Linda's dead naked body there. She realizes who it is. It's Linda. Like, oh, my God, he's dead. Michael comes in, and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't. That's the one cool thing about this. It's like, we don't know why he's well, like, after We've Lori. never been in this situation before. That's one of the things I really felt made the sister angle work. We don't know why he's after Lori. Yeah. We don't know his motive. Okay, we know he's after her, Yeah, but we don't know why. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that, you know, everyone says, like, oh, Car- Carpenter ruined it when he did the whole sister thing. And even Carpenter says he ruined it when he did the whole sister thing. Well, yeah, I think this kind of helped it. Yeah, I mean, like he said, like he admitted, like, this is a post-Empire Strikes Back. Luke, uh, I am your father. Yeah, moment, so that's why he wrote he that in there. six-pack of Budweiser a night in front of a typewriter that doesn't have a backspace button. So. <laughs> but, yeah, I felt like this kind of redeemed the whole sister angle because we don't know what his motivation is until the very ending, the climax, where he kneels down in front of her, takes out the picture of them as children from earlier in the film, points in front of her. Thankfully, they cut out the whole boo thing. He does not speak. He's still silent. Yeah. She's freaking out. She doesn't know who they are. He takes off the mask. Still very blank, but still just sullen, sitting there, just, you know, looking at her. We don't really see his Family sister reunited, more. more or less. He found his sister, he, you know, whatever. Um, we don't find out truly the why he wants to find her until age two. Yeah. Which I think Rob Zombie thought of after the fact, but still kind of works, even though he kind of half-assed it, because I think yeah, at that he... point he didn't care, but that's in the story for another day. Yes. As we approach the two-hour mark on this. Yes. Whatever. I'm enjoying this. I hope you all out there by this point are still with us and are not completely zoned out. Yeah, hopefully my... Uh, it's just good people. to listen to at work. Yes. And that's where I, that's where the best of these I listen to. Like, whatever, like I listen back to my own podcast. So yeah, you can call it the narcissistic, but I think if it's entertaining enough, I can kind of step, I can step out of it and still enjoy it. Well, you also want to listen to it to... Become better at what, what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, any anywho, Lori sees, you know, an opportunity to strike because he put the knife down, too. And this is where, you know, the, the, the Lori Strode's deep-down fierceness comes out that Jamie Lee Curtis had. She's telling him, she wants to help him, crawling slower, crawling over. I want to help you. I want to help you. Grab the knife, you motherfucker. Stabs him in the neck. Yeah. And he goes down. She's screaming, trying to get out of there. And actually, her trying to get out of the Myers basement, I would see all the behind-the-scenes, like, production stills on MySpace. That was shot during the day. A lot of people were looking at it like, oh, my God, he's striking during the day? Like, what the fuck? Like, this is going to be crazily which, different. Which I think would have worked. It would have been different. Like, I, not, not just, like, to say, like, because typical horror movies end at night and stuff like that. But, like, there are the few that happen in the day that work. Like, you look at the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and how the climate And Sunrise. And how, but, like, you put through a tour de force of torture at that point. of Like, psychological torture, not physical one, at the, at the dinner scene. So... It's seeing the sun. You think like, oh, you're gonna be safe and stuff like that. Like, nope, it's still gonna be messed up. And I think that would have worked for this as well. Well, Instead, they did the whole day for night thing. Michael then, you know, woke up, sort of, sort of. It it was almost like when he kneeled to Lori and took off the mask. Michael came out, and the shape kind of went away a bit. Yeah. But then, you know, he wakes up. The shape is fully back. He pulls out the knife, unaffected by it, puts on the mask, realizes now his sister has rejected him. Mm -hmm. Everything he's worked towards, and goes in for the kill. Yeah. Breaks through the wall, you know, as you were talking about Tyler Maine's awesome stunt work, breaking through the wall, mm-hmm. pulling out the fucking fence that she somehow manages to, there was like a chain link door, chain link fence door leading to the, the outside basement door entrance yeah. that he rips off. Hershey's still injured, she's going through the backyard, but then falls into the empty swimming pool, and it's like, oh fuck, she's trapped, she's injured. Yep. Him hovering around her, very suspenseful, I like that part. Yeah. As he's making his ascent, descent into the pool, all of a sudden, Michael, stop! Loomis catches up. As we were saying before, he probably knew where the Myers house was. I'm sure he could hear a young girl screaming. Yeah. I don't know where all any of the other fucking neighbors are. Yeah, exactly. Like in the original, Lori's scream was just for that little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And then eventually the cop showed up after every shit hit the fan and went down. Right. Um, Loomis, you know, gets his attention for a minute, but then, you know, tries to reason with Michael, it's Samuel, you know? And he's like, I don't care. The whole patient thing, but he's still wrapped up in his shape thing. Yep. And Loomis, very hesitantly, unlike Donald Pleasance, who just coldly, boom, 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 because he's even like, I stop. And Loomis hesitates. He's like, stop. Like, he doesn't want to shoot him. Shoots him once, and then he's just, and he has the realization, like, oh, what have I just done? And he's like, and he looks at the gun, and he's like, shit. And Michael doesn't stop, and that's when he continues to fire. stop. Until he goes down. Like, he did not want to do it. There was a moment of depth there yeah. that I liked. You know, he went down, everyone thought it was all safe, you know, gotta give nods to Scout Teller Compton's performance of freaking the F-U-C-K out. Yes. You know, he takes her out, puts his coat over, brings her in the cop car that I guess he took with him. Yes. Which is, he's going to jail for, I'm sure. Yes. And then, unfortunately, in the theatrical version, was cut out the whole moment of just the, the, the sad sigh of relief and sorrow. Yes. And then get in the car, it's over, it's finally, I, it's over might have still been in there. Mm-hmm. And then in the car, you think everything's done, it's safe. What's, What's the that? boogeyman? Is that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, I do believe it was. Kaboom! Breaks right through the glass door. Another awesome, you know, jump scare moment that's very Michael and Myers. Like, Yanks her out. And the thing is, Rob Zoe didn't tell him the timing of when Tyler May was good. Cause, and he had multiple cameras running. So that's a genuine reaction from, a gen- Mal- it was, oh, it was cool. from Malcolm McDowell. He was literally... Jesus Christ! Christ holy fuck! It. Sound like Lewis Black for a minute. <laughs> exactly. Pips and whores! Pips and whores! How noises and gestures. <laughs> Drags uh, Lori out of the passenger side window. 
and holds her hostage against Loomis, who tries to reason with the monster. Well, now here's where the the work print ending and the theatrical slash director's cut endings begin to differ. In the work print ending, um, Loomis tries to reason with him, saying, it's my fault, I failed you, because you really believe that. That's when the cops show up with Bracken and the cops. You know, hold him at gunpoint. Loomis is trying to talk him down. I got this. Don't worry. I got this. And he manages to convince Michael. He reasons with him to let her go. And he does. Tells him, you made the right choice, Michael. They start to walk away. Michael starts walking to follow him, thinking everything is all right, and the cops gun his ass down. Yeah, because that would happen, especially if you just attack the sheriff's daughter. Of course they're going to fucking... Well, he, did drop the, he dropped the, his weapon, too. Yeah, and then and they all of them unload their magazines into him and drop him like it's hot. And, of course, he does... Rob Zombie does save that ending for H2. Yeah, no, I'm saying he saves it for H2, pretty much that ending. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um, well, no, that's the that's the director's cut ending of H two. Yeah, when when he finally does speak and fuck, fuck that ending, <laughs> fuck it, fuck it in its ass, dry, oh, fuck it in man. its ass with a sandpaper condom. And then the director's and theatrical cut. Michael just grabs Loomis in the midst of his speech, crushes his head, presumably to we think is to his death, and then gives chase to Michael uh, Laurie throughout the house. Well, he pulls he pulls Loomis in. Yeah, the cops don't show up at this point. No. Pulls him in, and then there's a nice, there's a game of cat and mouse because it's like Michael is the shape. He's evil. He's not being reasoned with. He's going to kill this girl, and she is trapped in here. At one moment in the director's cut version, we do find out that Loomis is still alive. Yeah. When after a little while of of uh, getting him off her tail, she finds his gun with his body, and as Michael walks past Loomis, Loomis grabs his leg, letting us trying to hold on, trying to just stop him from chasing that's her. O- that's only in the director's cut. It's a theatrical cut. We really don't know Loomis's final fate. Yeah. So, uh, she has his magnum, his three fifty seven magnum, hides in like the attic ceiling duct f- f- crawl space yeah. that they have, and that's when, as you said earlier, what you like is Michael takes a gigantic like hunk of wood, like two by four hunk, yeah, that's breaking through the ceiling. At which point she falls out. Is the ceiling so broken apart? She stands up all injured. There he is standing in the doorway. And she's like all woozy wobbly, holds the gun up, bleeding profusely out of everywhere. Yeah. And he just drops the thing and runs, sprints. And because I think you're right, because I think he's trying to kill her at this point. And like Goldberg spears her out. Yeah, he literally does spear her out the window. Out the window, off off the the balcony. balcony. The two of them fall two stories under the grass below. And and then like they had that moment where like Laurie recovers. She, She somehow, she stirs out of her thing. Climbs on top of Michael as With he's laying, uh, uh, lying unconscious on the ground and starts pulling the trigger back trying to kill him. So Loomis used most of the bullets. And so it's just a click and then they they cut one or two frames up and they have a little bit of a jump cut every time she clicks. So it makes every click of the hammer. Like Russian roulette. You yeah, never know and, what's going to happen. And then eventually he grabs, grabs her hand. Grabs her hand, which you argue, is he trying to stop her or is he trying to help her aim it to make sure he kills him? I think stop her. I mean, because that's the one thing that Rob Zombie kind of leaves it kind of ambiguous in his commentary track. He brings up the fact that, like, does he, I mean, like, to stop her and stuff like that. But he does, she does pull the trigger, blowing his brains and just out. Ha- just happened to have that, that one bullet left in and allegedly blowing his brains out. And it just, like, the script goes off in her face and just covers her in blood and just her ass screams echo as it fades as the, out. As the police sirens come, it's close up of her just, like, screaming, tortured voice, and it cuts to... The Super 8 film of the character of Laurie as a baby crying. Which I think is really effective. And then, you know, end credits, and then there's just all the Super 8 footage of Michael as a young boy. Destroying a... uh, Destroying a plastic horse. 
Which will come back. Showing some kind of his violent tendencies, I guess, at a young age or whatever, to show that things weren't always the greatest. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I mean that. But that was. Then that was that was Rob Zombie's Halloween. As we find out, Michael Myers lived. The bullet yep. grazed his head. Mm-hmm. Just. I need a cigarette. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all right. <laughs> or a bong hit. Seriously, a gravity bong. <laughs> But yeah, with all the things we talked about, though, with all the things that we outright hated, didn't think worked, disliked, there really was enough spread out through all five of these different... Iterations of this. Iterations that there were things that we liked, really liked. And I think we almost talked ourselves back into liking it as well. We did In a weird way, yeah. It's weird Stockholm Syndrome we're kind of falling ourselves into right now. We're like, you should call it Patty Hearst and ask for help. It's Stockholm Syndrome out of a love for Halloween, the character of Michael Myers, and wanting something... Good, you know? So our desire of wanting a good movie is willing... We found the good in something, but the problem is it's spread out over five different iterations. And unfortunately, two of those are only on paper. Yeah. And even if... one, of the, Unfortunately, the, the work print is of a low quality. Yeah. But if... if I don't know if there are... If I, anyone, anyone of you out there that knows how to remaster a fucking crappy work print download into high definition properly, would it look like the others... Hook us up, and we, we will sit here with with uh, editing software, and we will put together our super cut of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yes. All right. Your preferred version of the movie? Theatrical. By the longest shot. Yes. Just because all it, it has the least deplorable shit yes. that I absolutely hate. It trims enough of the stupid shit, the unnecessary shit, and it, it does not. It is not burned by using Carpenter's music too often. Oh, not at all. Well, I mean, that didn't really bother me too much anyway. But, but I like, look at the work print, like how often it's used. Yes. Yeah, but, I'd have to say flat out theatrical cut, and I'm saddest to say that that is the second least available version behind the work print, which just exists as a bootleg digital download that you could probably just get off of, well, I got it off of BitTorrent. Yeah. Which, like, we had to, like, fight for, like, to find somebody like, to be downloading that, right? Wasn't that It prompt? took a little while to get that. Yeah. Just to find it. What about you? What's your... I mean, I like the work print ending, but like I said, there were so many problems with the work print. With the print. pacing and editing. Like, they put Linda and Bob scene in a weird spot where yeah, they Yeah, no, killed. like you're saying, like, I like the work print, but I think, like, overall, I think I agree with you is the theatrical cut. So the, the director's cut having, like, the rape scene... Um, but the director's re- cut also had more the, the Super 8 footage in the insane asylum with Loomis's observations, which I loved. And, and the thing is... It had little extensions like Loomis like showing that he's alive at the end. And something that like stylistically noticed, like, the beginning of the movie, a lot of his handheld, a lot of his long lenses, a lot of his compressed, everything's last shot and close up. The sanitarium things, everything's locked down. Everything's on the tripod. Everything's on dolly. Everything's very smooth and very controlled and cold and everything like that. First half of the third act, when they back to Hanfield, that's when they bring up the dolly shots, a lot of steady cam shots, and then it's not until the very end they brings back the handheld look and stuff like that. I like that kind of look going across the cuts of the movies that he had this kind of forethought into it. It definitely affected the audience that way. However. It's just like I think of the theatrical cut. It's like, all right, I think it's the, it's the least shit of the versions. I, I we think got. it averages out the best. Yeah. of all the things that we like. Now, would you recommend this movie to people? Only if you have watched pretty much the whole Halloween series, are a huge fan of it, and nothing could spoil it for you. That's a lot of caveats, you know. 
That's that's eight movies. You could actually actually no, it's seven movies. Fuck Resurrection. I yes. recommend this over Resurrection any day of the week. <sighs> that's saying that that's pretty. I recommend agree. watching Birth of a Nation over Resurrection any day of the week. Well, which Birth of a Nation? There's another one. The fucking the original. Oh, the D.W. Griffith the original. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, next you say watch Triumph of the Will over Halloween Resurrection. I recommend Two Girls, One Cup over Halloween Aww. Resurrection. I recommend One Guy, One Jar over Halloween Aww. Resurrection. It's less painful to watch. Yeah, I recommend watching this, like, if you're a diehard fan of this series. I mean, like, like we have such, so many problems with it, but yet, I mean, like, I was thinking about this, like, worst series in movies, like, long list of movies. Like, like people say, like, Star Wars Attack of the Clones, like, the worst Star Wars movie. Like, Die Another Day, the worst James Bond movie. Like, this is probably, like... Like Halloween Resurrection, by the worst of all the Halloween movies, like franchises movies that have gone on that have always had the worst movie, like the lowest of the low, and like you question yourself, like is the lowest love to enough to outweigh the good the originals had? I don't, I don't think this one does not do that. It hasn't like deplorable shit in there, but it has its low points, which are pretty low, like but, sewer level low. Yeah, but I mean, not the entire movie isn't isn't as incompetent to just. A product as fucking Resurrection is. Yes. Resurrection is just a product. Yes. This uh, had an idea. It well, was just... I, fucking, I, like, looking at my DVD rack from here, I own, you can tell, I own it on DVD and Blu-ray, and I plan on getting the two-pack theatrical Blu-ray. From Canada. From from Canada, off of Amazon or eBay, whatever. It's not region block. It's still region one for Canada, It's region right? one, North oh, America. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um... So I mean I, I I own it on multiple formats and plan on owning it on more. So yeah, so I've watched it many a times over the past you know what almost like nine years since it came out. And I'll often, I popped it on. And it's funny like you watched like three cuts of it in like one day. I watched I'm, all three cuts of it in one day. I'm surprised you didn't kill yourself at the end of it. That's the thing though. I guess the things I like held me through. Oh man! Any f- final thoughts on that? Um. I don't want to say wasted potential. I'll use the I'll use the line I've used on several different movies that I just can't think of right now. I'll use the same line thoughts of it I uh, used on Man of Steel. The final product would have made a good first draft. Gotcha. Would have made an the final product would have made a better first draft. Gotcha. And I still say that it is not the worst, but definitely not the best. Probably it's the best. It, it's just mediocre at best. C plus. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely... My high school GPA, see? Like, just see it for the sake of it. See if you're a completionist. Just make sure you're a huge Halloween fan before that, and nothing yeah. can ruin your experience of loving the original. And if you start to feel bad, and you're like, oh, I don't know if you should watch this, turn it off and put on the original Halloween and wash the there memories away. Yeah. All right. Now, I hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast review. You've uh, been with us for a while. I hope you're all still with us. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, we didn't lose you at any point like in any of our rants or ramblings or anything like that. Uh, Mike, you don't want people to follow you on social media, so I'm not even going to bother asking no, I'll, you. I'll be, uh, though I will be at uh, my tour of local 7-Elevens. Uh, if you see me, don't be afraid to buy me an energy drink. <laughs> I probably need it at that point. Uh, if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter oh, at Timothy Rooney 2 I have no real social media. So. You want to get rid of your social media. You can follow me here. That's a, yeah, this, is where I, this is where I come out of my groundhog's hole the most. And, and I really appreciate that you're yes. always willing to be down I for this. I appreciate that you're always willing to have me. Even of course. though I can't act, I can't fucking... <laughs> the, shit. the funny thing is, like, I, I, I'm thinking of... Like, I'm doing overbearing, things. I take over things, I interrupt you. Uh, no, I don't think you're too overbearing. All right, thanks. 
<laughs> I mean, well, I, I, I get so spirited when I work with you. It's like, oh my god, a creative outlet. Remember those? Yeah, of course, and, and I'm always down for that. And anybody who's willing to be creative, I am always down. Like, I, I will find things to be creative with because I want to have that creative juices flowing. Like, uh, I wrote down a bunch of short, like two minute, thirty second to two minute short film ideas. That I want to be churning out for the next couple of months, and I want to want you to be in part of them as much as possible. So. All right. So, like I said, if you also follow my YouTube page through the Lens Productions, where some of these podcasts are obviously uploaded, I'll be archiving them on YouTube. Uh, my uh, Facebook page also under Through Lens Productions. So, I hope everyone's enjoyed this podcast review of Rob Zombie's Halloween. If you're still with us, thank you very much for yep. being. Thank you for being a friend. Yep. Travel down the road and back again. I hope everyone's Your enjoyed. heart is pure. You're a pal and a confidant. See, I interrupted you again. <laughs> yeah, of course. Hope everyone's enjoyed this October's Horathon and uh, Shop of Horrors, whatever the fuck the title is. Hope everybody's enjoyed this podcast review. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very tired. Let me leave me alone. I got to drive home, so I got behind the wheel of a car. I'll be less attractive than Rob Zombie in this movie. There you go. Hope everybody's enjoyed this review, and we'll talk to you soon. Have a good night, folks. Boy. I know I had some at least one controversial take in that movie uh, when it came to the uh, dealing of how the illogical actions of Michael's mother. But you know what? Upon reflection, I think that was a little judgmental on my part, and I apologize yeah, for it. It is what it is. It's one side of a coin. Don't 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 apologize. It's all good. It's right. all good, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially who's who's. Since that uh, time, we've had those kind of thoughts again. It, it was something that is it, it made me feel very uncomfortable. That's why. That's why I feel like I need to apologize on. But do you like? I know you mentioned before, like not much has changed. Like, it has anything changed for you when it comes to this movie? Well, I I, uh, I recently got a hold of the two pack of the theatrical cuts of Halloween's one and two, which we're also talking about uh, how to view it nowadays. I watched the theatrical cut again, and I I mean my feelings. When I watch it, I'm not. I know I'm not watching something I love. I know I'm watching something I'm probably going to cringe during and just and just sigh and just roll my eyes at. But I do still find something there. I do feel that the theatrical cut is the best version of it because it, it cuts a lot of the crap. Um, you know, it changes changes a few things up, a few uh, certain scenes. I mean, things still kind of don't really make sense with the scene that changed the infamous rape scene. Yeah. Why are they transferring him? Okay, we we brought him down the hall for a hearing or something. You know, it, like it, it's it's odd. It feel it does still feel like it was kind of shoehorned in after the fact. But my my feelings really are the same. I would recommend this to diehard Halloween fans that nothing can destroy Halloween for them personally, or diehard Rob Zombie fans. If you love Rob Zombie's movies, if if you really enjoy Rob Zombie's movies, I'm not judging you, but you'll you'll enjoy this. Yeah, because one thing you can definitely say is that this has a style. It is very evocative of Rob Zombie's movies. And so, I mean, you could argue maybe 4, 5, and 6 could seem kind of workmanlike and and there's no real identifying uh, qualities about them. However, when it comes to the two zombie movies, you definitely tell those are zombies movies, no ifs, ands, or buts. Now, that could either work for you or it can go against you, depending on how your feelings on zombie, like Mike said. But I, I do think, like, yes, he made his movies. I can respect that. He wanted to tell his story. Yes, things have changed. And, like, it, it's something that Nostalgia Critic says, like, because, like, how the first movie was so 
subtle in, in its ways of like conveying the kind of terror of the, of the shape and everything like that. It just holds up a picture of, of Rob Zombie in his concert gear. It's like, this man knows the definition of subtlety. And, but he even bring, brought up another point, is that the fact that we're still arguing and debating about this movie over 10 years later, does that have some validity to the fact that there's something about this movie that we're willing to talk about? Absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's here to stay. People are still talking about it. People are still making freaking internet videos about it. Yeah, I mean, like, even, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which, like, kicked off the horror remake boom, I don't see people still arguing about that movie in comparison to the original. That's the thing. I don't think there's much to argue about about comparison to the original when it comes to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, there's more people arguing about the Black Christmas remake uh, than than Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, does this still hold the record for highest-grossing movie over Labor Day weekend? Um, I believe it grossed over $80 million. In its total run. Yes. Um, I'm not sure about Labor Day weekend. Like, what did, uh, didn't Guardians of the Galaxy beat that? The first one? Wasn't that a Labor Day? Re- no. No, that was a month. Like, that was, it was the month, a month of or two prior. Yeah. Yeah, because it was, I remember exactly when it was the, it was the beginning of the month because I saw it before I went on vacation and then after I went on vacation four years ago. Well, yes. I, um, well, Halloween, currently, Rob Zombie's Halloween, currently on Rotten Tomatoes, has a, you know, score of 25%. Uh, critic review, 59% audiences. So audiences did like it a little more, but not that much. But, I mean, it still made a huge profit. Only yeah. $15 million budget versus $80 million profit. Mm-hmm. So by all accounts, it was a success. Yes. Obviously. Um, the, if you want to watch it today at home, you have quite a few options. If you still own a DVD player, there was a theatrical cut. The released on DVD and a director's cut. The director's cut, we talked about it in the th- in the uh, podcast. We talk about all the many differences. Um, <clears throat> they both have identical special features. You know, they, for a later movie, they look very good. We're, there's not too many discrepancies now anymore amongst home releases. For Blu-ray, though, for a very long time, you all there really was was a director's cut. There was a later release on DVD, which featured a third bonus disc and it had a four and a half hour michael lives the making of halloween documentary yeah very similar to the one he did for devil's rejects yes what what was the name of that uh 30 days in hell yeah so we that if you own it on dvd i would say and you want it and you like the director's cut best go for that i mean you could probably find both fucking in bargain bins left and right right but i think the documentaries would really would like would be the selling point like just to see like the, the minutia of going into the making of the movie yeah um as for blu-ray though like i said your options were a lot more limited for a very long time all that was available was the director's cut however um alliance films released in canada i believe the french canada regions because everything that's in english has beneath it the french Title, translation, yeah. French translation. They released a two-pack of the theatrical editions of Halloween and Halloween 2. This release, however, contains no special features. Mm. So you were just getting the movie. It would be bare bones. That's all. So for for Blu-ray people, I'd say get the – if you if you like this movie enough to own both cuts, I'd say get the director's cut with the four-hour making of. I think that's the only release available on Blu-ray because that – one came after the DVD version. Mm-hmm. And then get this two-pack, you know? It's a solid two-pack. How much was that? I don't remember. <laughs> I was going to say, it wasn't like a... 
it wasn't, it was, like, it wasn't a bank breaker. Okay, like even being an import and everything like that. It's not much of it's not much of an import because it's still Region A. Yeah, you know, it's still North saying, America. Right, I'm just saying, like it's crossing Canadian lines and stuff. I didn't know there'd be any giant tariffs of the king trying to get it from uh, Canada into America these days. But Very topical, folks. This it, is 10 years now, time this will be re- totally relevant. Oh, yeah. Um, but also, which cut comes with the 15-disc uh, box set, though? Uh, director's cut with the four-hour documentary. Despite the fact that I pulled this right out of the box set, it's the theatrical cut's cover. Yeah, it doesn't say the... Which is based on the... Uh, film poster. Right. That's the poster I had on my wall for years, like at least for two years after the release of the movie, because I, upon initial release, I, like I said, I enjoyed it, and then after Halloween 2, my feelings changed and everything, and which we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. And that's about it, really. Yeah, I, I think it's... We hope you enjoyed this rehash down memory lane. I swear right. to God, we're not going to do this all the time, but... No, I mean, like, it, I mean... Something new is on its way. In terms of originality, it is up there. When it comes to in terms of originality, what what Ed Geed and Jeffrey Dahmer did to their victims was pretty original. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, it, because at least like he had a voice, he had what had a unique vision, and everything like that, and he executed that. If that's up, if you enjoy it, that's that's up to the personal preference. It's all subjective at that point. Some people love having their balls nailed to a step stool. Yes, exactly. Some people love Rob Zombie's Halloween. Yes, thank you, Corny. And so I hope everybody's enjoyed our little uh, rehash of Rob Zombie's Halloween. Come back next time as we continue talking about the Halloween franchise with Halloween 2 or H2. I think it's the way we can differentiate. H2 is what it was typically abbreviated as. That's how we differentiate it between Halloween 2. That you won't have to wait another month for. That will be coming probably, I'd say, two more weeks. Yeah. Minimum. Exactly. Give ourselves some headroom. Um, so if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at TimothyRooney2, my Instagram at TRooney1012, and my YouTube channel, uh, Through the Lens Productions, where my latest short film, which Mike is a part of, Cutting In, is up. You can find all those links in the description below. So I say, Mike, say, uh, thank you for being a part of this podcast. Anytime. No problem. All right, all right, all right. In the words of, uh, Matthew McConaughey, come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll be speaking to you soon.